advisor on the submissions that we made and the process that we're going to engage on henceforth. We've uh, removed one item, uh, the reasons that uh, we have, if you check these uh, items which are on the agenda, we probably need sufficient time to interact with them. And Mr. Matunzi, I think we're going to be more strict in terms of the key issues that we must deal with, given the time that we are allocated and to afford members to interact with these uh, 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 presentations. More interest uh, may be all the issues that are raised and we must give members enough time to interact with and other issues will then refer them to future uh, sitting if are not exhausted in this uh, meeting. I'm not going to waste time, going to um, allow Mr. Matunzi to do introduction. Can uh, um, the lead of delegation, um, it may be important, and apologies if I call, going to be carried, then I'll invite the minister to... Thank you, Mr. Matunzi. Yes, Chairperson. From my side, the apologies is from Ms. Kanyele. She won't be joining the meeting, and then uh, there will be a late uh, joining of the meeting by uh, Ms. Tito. She said she will be joining around 10 o'clock. Uh, she's in a flight down to Cape Town. And then, uh, um, so I'm, I'm not sure, Chairperson, whether I should uh, request the UNHCR and the Congolese just to introduce themselves, or are you going to do that? Uh, yes, good morning. You can, you can, you can do that. Uh, thank you, Mr. Matunza. Yes, already. I think the uh, the UN representative was already on, on online just to introduce if they can do that, and then followed by the Congolese. That will be all for me. Okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning, Mr. Shabani. Good morning, everyone. My name is Igor Chobano. I'm deputy representative for uh, South Africa multi-country office. Uh, with me in the room, it's uh, senior protection officer, Esu sanchez Spencer. Thank you. Mr. Matunzi, we're still on your yes. platform. Yes. Uh, Mr. Mumbilo, can you please introduce your delegation from the Congolese Society or Civil Society of South Africa? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chair and uh, Eddie. Uh, my name is Isaiah Mumbilo. I'm the chairperson of the Congolese Society of South Africa. Uh, I'm with uh, Kati, who's uh, representing Copenhagen, and also uh, Kispen going to join us later. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Chairperson. That is all from my side. Okay, thank you, uh, Mr. Matunsi. Mr. Matons, can you? Uh, I hope the department are here. If uh, I can get the, an understanding, if the minister is here or the DM or the DG. Yeah, both the minister, the DG, and the deputy minister, if I'm not mistaken, they are in the meeting. Okay, thank you. Can you take us through on the item number, the, the next item, so that the members understand why? Or, those are in the meeting. Oh, okay, uh, Chairperson, uh, with the, the with the regard to the Congolese Civil Society, 
uh, on Human Rights Day and also on uh, Refugee Day, they marched to Parliament to submit a memorandum to the Speaker. So those two memorandums were or, or uh, were also forwarded to the committee so that you know, we can deal with the issues. That's how we came to to uh, the Congolese Civil Society of South Africa to this meeting today. Is this in response to the memorandum that was sent by the speaker to the committee chairperson? Okay, thank you very much. <clears throat> the reason I think outlined by Mr. Matunsi is correct that uh, there's a memo <clears throat> which was sent to the speaker and the speaker did refer uh, the item to be entertained by Home Affairs Portfolio Committee. Hence, this item has been brought before our attention and invitation was sought uh, extended to the uh, this civil society um, for us to listen to what are the issues. Um, then what is going to happen is that we will not... Uh, and I don't. I want to be clearer in terms of structuring the issues which are are going to be dealt with. One is that the minister is not going to be, or the DM or Home Affairs are not going to be made to respond on this item in this meeting. The Congolese Civil Society had requested an audience, which they've been provided. They will then uh, present and the members will interact with the report. It may be important to note that this uh, uh, report, it will be uh, given a particular time, but this meeting will note it. Um, I'm raising it because we're having here the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, the Department of Home Affairs, the Minister, the DM and the DG. And I'm cautioning that they are not invited to respond to the issues that are going to be raised in this meeting. If there are issues that need to be dealt with in relation to the memoranda, the committee later will deliberate and refer matters to the Department of Home Affairs is how we're going to deal with this, uh, with this item. Uh, can I invite Mr. Matonsi, the head of delegation? Um, we must be aware that uh, there's a sitting at 2 o'clock and members may need to go to, the, uh, to attend the sitting at 2 o'clock. And as I've indicated, that time is not uh, on our side. Let's talk to the presentation, key issues which are there noting that the report has been circulated to members, they've gone through it, and therefore we move to other, uh, to other items. All the presenters that are going to present caution that we are dealing with the time constraints and issues uh, of our interest as members of the committee. You may need to talk to, uh, to, to them. Mr. Matonzi, can I invite the, uh, the civil society to present? Thank you. Uh, I missed them. Mr. Mombilo, can you please present? I've given you the right to uh, share your presentation. Uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr.
Mr. Eddie. Uh, thank you, Chair, for this privilege you're giving to us for this uh, report of the combined uh, um, command recommendation of our uh, memorandum, which was so important on the Human Rights Day and the Refugee Day on 2022. We really appreciate and we give uh, thanks also to the Speaker of the Assembly. And we thank also uh, all the followers which are going to uh, follow our presentation. As you can see, uh, there's uh, some content of our presentation, which I can pass uh, for just saving time. So we're going to start on the introduction, which is something very important. We're going to understand why we're making this presentation. Uh, we, the victim of the follow the failure of Pan-Africanism since the end of a colonization for a national living in South Africa. We found refuge in South Africa called by the name in the soil of Africa and the victim of apartheid. Citizens of South Africa who believe in Ubuntu despite the influence of separatism, who believe in the same route we all come from as African. We motivate in the belief that the human rights and refugee days of 2022 are days of defending our Africanism came together in the two marches for human rights and the right of refugee in South Africa, promoting the value of diversity and solidarity of organization, which is mentioned under like uh, a housing assembly, Calabrini, Copanang, Unifam, Congoli Civil Society, and so, as a collective initiative toward long-lasting, peaceful coexistence and a sustainable social cohesion between refugee, Aslam, Sika, migrants, and the local host community in the Western Cape province in particular, and in the Republic at large. Human rights, refugee, Islam, seeker, and immigrant in South Africa. The unjust and unequal society which African politicians create for control of power and ongoing banalization of a black person as the only weak target when the issue of refugee foreigners has been raised nationally which change our identity as refugee, Islam seeker and immigrants, victimize as black African in South Africa with a promotion of no mention of Afrophobia, where black foreigners are witnessing themselves how their concern has been the key of statement from South African politicians and the reason of South African misery. The loss of the human rights ideology on black foreigners in South Africa, refugee asylum seekers and migrants, it has been proven that the recognition of refugee asylum seekers and migrants in South Africa lost 48% of its human value when a decision is about to be made against foreigners mostly for approving how they can be just accepted as human who is being part of the human race who deserve to be heard for just by being part of our humanity. Foreigner child is considered like a refugee. 
not as a feature of our humanity and better Africa. Politic, polit, political statement and violation of refugee rights and immigrants are raised very high. Between 2004 and 2008, violation was very low compared to 2008 until 2022, which is in nowadays like a common thing. It's no longer a sensitive issue to avoid to allow, but we believe that South Africa is not xenophobic. We do believe on that. But we have since, seen, since 2008, action against foreigners, even in state institutions. We have no idea what can we call it, as we believe no South African are xenophobic. The role of International Convention for Refugee, Islam, Seeker, and Migrant in Durban, in order to rescue the victim of African politician and rebellion, who are today being called refugee, Islam, Seeker, and Migrant in South Africa, the role of international relevant convention and the treaties that guarantee and promote refugee, Islam, Seeker, and Migrant rights, which South Africa sign and ratify, provide a period of a political will to promote South Africa as one of the best conservators of Ubuntu spirit on this first decency since the signature of international convention and the treaties. South Africa introduced an anti-migrant isolation system in contrast to other countries who receive African refugees South Africa prefer the integration program than the camps and exceptional decision as a country proud of Ubuntu and the conservatory of uh, Ubuntu. The 1951 UN uh, Geneva, uh, Geneva Convention and the 1967 UN New York Protocol relating to the status of refugee and the 1969 OAU Organization of African Unity, uh, convention governing the specific aspect of refugee problem in Africa are uncertain in an optimistic way to stand for refugee, Islam seeker and migrants when they are desperately in need of any convention support from any misconduct against their rights. Statement made to be considered supportive from politicians which devaluate the reason of the convention under the circumstance where refugee, asylum seeker, and migrants are not the preference of a certain group in the host community or political parties. Attacks against foreign nationals who do not deserve to be in South Africa, according to certain local people. Gaiton McKenzie who say he will uh, personally walk through the hospital suite of foreign nationalist oxygen machine and they put South African on those machines because the oxygen belongs to South Africa. The concern which were the illegality of foreigners tend to the mass return of all foreigners, even the legal one, state by the Dudula movement. An undocumented human do not deserve treatment if he or she doesn't have money to pay. There was the issue of uh, uh, 
a, a, a person who's really documented with a status being arrested in Cape Town police station because of a lack of uh, not a, a verification uh, appropriate for home affairs in police station and a person slept uh, in police station Cape Town uh, one day even the woman who was come was pregnant to come to bring the proper paper and they rejected the verification and the end of the day home affairs excuse themselves to say the paper was right where he, he spent already days in a police station notifying evidence of lack of the basic of human rights or the weak implementation of a human rights value in the south african government launch the national action plan to combat racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance, and uh, arguably the best human rights-based and human rights-oriented constitution on earth, the implementation and the materialization of those commitments remained a major challenge across the Republic. A promotion of the National Action Plan in South Africa to combat racism twin sister of xenophobia, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance by the President of the Republic. This show the Convention concerning refugees are also affected, meaning evidence of possibility of no full implementation of Convention which protects refugee, asylum seeker, and migrants in the circumstance of failing on international agreement. As the 18th June being declared since 2019, the International Day Against Racism, Discrimination, Xenophobia, and Violent Relates, the raise of a movement called Dula and the other who serve as a tool to push the end of the International Convention of Refugee, Islam, Seeker, and Migrants existence in South Africa by taking government institution and law to their own hand to challenge any resistance against the not living of all foreigners national in the soil of South Africa, which lead on visiting wherever foreigner national are. South Africa approved the Durban Declaration and the program of action adopted on September 18, 21 at the World Conference Against Racism racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. You can check that in chapter one, in particular, paragraph two of the declaration and the paragraph 84 to 86 of the program, as well as the relevant provision of the outcome document of the Durban Review Conference of April 24, 2009. Check the chapter one in particular paragraph 11, 13, and 54. The vote of the UN resolution 74 underscore 136 of December 1929, 19, fighting Nazism, neo-Nazism, xenophobia, and racism, and racial discrimination. We believe that political will is the key to solve the fear caused by anti-African movement. International Convention under Force Adjustment. The convention enables refugee, asylum seeker, and migrant to have 
a second home for the sake of second chance of life as any human deserve when their human value is under threat. South Africa, the land of no fear, to live in as South African constitution also secure whoever live in South Africa as the same right equally. South Africa was more an advocate for foreigners in Africa, and now it sounds like a judge who cannot stop strongly the local group and the politician who are making the living condition of foreigners national in fear. The illegal are blamed, and the legal ones are also under the pressure to leave the country. The challenge of foreigners sound more against illegal officially, but the pressure of the ground is for all foreigners, even the legal one. You can see reality of foreigners, illegal or legal experience of fear to reside in South Africa at working place, hospital, bank, street, public, transport, and community. Immigration law being reviewed so many times up to now to pressure the illegal and to leave the legal one with no hope to survive in South Africa, even all paper work is correct. The safety which was created by the International Convention is being removed slowly because new implementation of a new law in all sections concerning foreigners in general. The vulnerable race who are victims because of the immigration law change are immigration law change are black African who supposed to be the less vulnerable in any challenge against foreigners in South Africa because they are the son of African who've been victimized since slavery, colonization, neocolonization, and apartheid. It lives under the leadership of Black African. Blacks cannot be the first class of victim when it's about the right of the African land. Next page. Illegality caused by the service provider. The service provider by refugee center is also the main cause of the illegality of Rena. Final decision can be based on incorrect translation by the select interpreter who is not accountable and not independent organization for translation. Verification is available, not even an appeal board. Stateless children are increasing every year without any future decision based in the value of a human right to give our African children in South Africa a way out for their participation in the program of the Agenda 26.3, which is no longer promoted strongly as it started. The gap of timing between the request of Aslam Sika and the final decision, which, is, which can take 10 to 15 years, during which time an applicant can already have a family. And being declared illegal when he's already old, with big responsibility under the challenge of losing his job because the declaration of his illegality. It's easier for an applicant to return when 
he or she is a newcomer than after years of living in South Africa. The illegality of children who are born in South Africa because of the very late rejection of a parent's document, children to be forced to lose their education, which is needed in our continent for global progress, battle against illegality immigrants. Legality of online refugee and asylum seekers, which are not recognized in certain working places and the police station. Home affairs quality of service, speed, reduction in the waiting time for decision, consideration of the situation of a couple in which one of the parents is illegal, taking into account the situation of children, etc., etc. Self-passage requests and recommendation. The current situation requires a self-passage plan for better South Africa, which we always want. Dealing with illegal accordingly by not letting power to be out of government institution hands. Reviving the value of international convention, creating a safe environment for legal foreigners who are part of economic growth and African rights to be. Making the refugee center and immigration service more efficient because of the huge delay of service increase the illegality of refugee and asylum seeker. South Africa as refugee host state is in a better position to assist, preferably via regional like SADC, ECOWAS, etc., and the continental AU mechanism toward having human rights based and a human rights orient democratic governance institution in those African refugee sending country in order to reach negotiate term of and condition for voluntary repatriation of those African refugees as the one most preferable durable solution to the refugee problem in Africa. We strongly wish to highlight that the negotiate term of condition that of to be facilitated or at least initiate support and possibly sponsored by South Africa as current, currently the top priority of African Islam seeker destination via regional and the continental relevant mechanism will also provide for reintegration and rehabilitation of those African refugees back in their homeland to have an opportunity opportunity to contribute to social, cultural, social, economic, and social political initiative of their home country. Most African refugees sending countries to South Africa have dictatorial repressive regime and, and or internal politically induced war in contrast to ex- externally imposed war, which force their citizens into exile to South Africa. Those countries are characterized by gross violation of basic and fundamental human rights, a lack of democratic practice and public social policies. Negotiate term and condition for voluntary repatriation will work for the best interest of South Africa's local community as revolves 
over scarce resources between local citizens and more particularly African immigrants uh, will be uh, substantially cut off. In the best interest of both local South African and African immigrants, we request the implementation of the White Paper on International Migrations for South Africa, Home Affairs 2017, using a proactive approach which will entail engaging and challenging those African refugees sending country to put in place multi-party system and effective democratic mechanism as state by the subsection management of refugee and asylum seekers on page 60 of the above white paper. Absolutely, not only strong, effective and conducive human rights-based and human rights-oriented democratic mechanism will progressively keep African people inside their homeland, but also it will motivate strongly, encourage and enable the majority of African refugees in South Africa, in not all, if not all, to subscribe to voluntary repatriation back to their respective home country under negotiated time and condition for reintegration into their respective national society and rehabilitation into their respective social cultural group once back home. Auto African migrants, refugee and Islam seeker in South Africa will love to be in their respective homeland, contributing their best to the prosperity of their own home country, rather than being killed in South Africa, the social, political, and social economic condition back home in those different African refugee sending countries are not conducive enough to safeguard their social security, cultural emancipation, legal protection, and economic prosperity. We finally plead for the reopening of the refugee reception office across the Republic and the technological uh, problem of the online application system to be revised so that the daily volume of online application of refugee and asylum seeker can be effectively and efficiently processed. We appreciate this dialogue initiative, which allow everyone to understand the challenge and the effort made for lasting solution. We suggest that the engagement of this dialogue initiate continue. This will allow us to access progress, but also to better educate our national on progress and uh, what remains to be done. It's by working together that we can iron out our differences. The gap and the lack of dialogue between us and the institution department are not conducive to a better way forward. We are pleading with the portfolio committee to work closely with committee leaders for improved relation between African migrants, refugee, Islam seeker, and South African for a better outcome for African migrants in South Africa. Thank you very much, sir, uh, for this privilege. Once again, thanks you. Thanks very much uh, for the 
presentation. Um, there are few principles we must uh, outline um, so that at least there's an appreciation of uh, the issues we're dealing with as parliament. The first one is that South Africa is a signatories in international bodies um, and in areas that were dealing with the refugees or asylum. And we're participating fully and appreciating that uh, parliament has, or government, uh, they've been participating in that area. The second part is that we are governed by the constitution as a country in any other member states. And legislation that affect the policy implementation in our spheres of government in relation to the immigration uh, policy or immigration. So I earlier on caution that will pay attention to the issues and will then refer for any other matter that arises from this uh, presentation to, to the department. The third point is that Parliament and the, the department, which I can affirm that, is that we are fully in support of any other citizen or our African brothers or sisters or any other person who enter into the country or who participate in the country to fully to fully recognize and appreciate the laws of this country and our in that discourse of immigration reform like any other resident of the or citizen when she or he go to other countries the expectation is that you must adhere to the rules that govern that member states. I'm just highlighting these points because we have over time received reports from the committee and in the discourse of engagement, we've reaffirmed the appreciation for the constitution of the Republic and any laws that governs immigration to be added to. So I wanted to start there so that is clearer from our interaction that we have legislation that governs and the policies at the level of the departments that must be implemented to the latter. We want to thank you for just bringing these matters to our attention. But I'm going to invite members to, to deal with the 
to deal with the issues. And I think the last two issues, uh, and I can see your report raises some names of people or stakeholders. Um, I'm sure that that may not be our view to interact in that space. Um, and I'm sure that uh, non-South African is xenophobic. We're all at one. And I think there's the principle of African unity, but that does not work outside what governs member states. So I'm going to invite members, if this comment on the matters, as I've outlined that, we may consider to note the report or the presentation and refer other matters, this report to the Department of Home Affairs. I'm going to start with the Honorable Lizelle, Honorable Lohase, Honorable Mohale, Honorable Ross, Honorable Ramulobeng, Honorable Pillay, and Honorable Mudisimza. Mr. Matunzi will advise if I might have not noted uh, uh, other members to, to comment in that order. Honorable Lizelle. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and uh, good morning to yourself and our colleagues, the Minister, the Deputy Minister, and also our uh, Congolese uh, brothers who came to uh, present this morning. I want to firstly uh, align myself to the comments that you have made, uh, Chairperson. Um, firstly, I want to thank um, these uh, the civil society organization for coming to us the, and, and briefing us on their issues. I think all of their issues are valid and we've taken note of them. Um, and as you have outlined, we will refer this report uh, to the relevant stakeholders to have a look at it and to obviously um, comment uh, in due course. But I would like to say, I think what, what was very, what I found heartening about the presentation was the fact that the presenter mentioned the fact that firstly, South Africans are not xenophobic. Um, because I strongly believe that South Africans aren't xenophobic, that we are a very welcoming country for uh, migrants from all over the world and not only African migrants. And secondly, I did appreciate the fact that he mentioned that uh, we in South Africa have not erected refugee camps uh, at the various ports of entry, um, which other African countries and uh, indeed America and Europe and other countries have established. So in fact, we do welcome asylum seekers and refugees into our country, we do allow them to integrate. However, when I was listening to the presentation, I got a bit concerned because I think two issues were conflated. Firstly, the issues of the rights of refugees and asylum seekers. And I think we must affirm the rights of refugees and asylum seekers who are within our country and within our borders legally. Versus the other issue the presenter mentioned, which is the issue of illegal migration. Um, and I want to make a comment in that regard. I want to say we as parliament, we as a portfolio committee, um, we are 100 percent in support of in supporting our government, our department to ensure that the rights of migrants who are within our borders are protected and upheld. Those who enter our country legally. But I must make a comment to say that, you know, no other country in the world um, Laws are there to to curb illegal migration, and it's it's no different 
It's the same in South Africa and across the world. So I found it a bit perturbing that we were conflating the issues of the rights of migrants and, and, and people who are within our country seeking asylum with the issue of people who are here illegally. And I think the groups that were mentioned, the people that were mentioned, as much as we um, you know, talk about the rights of, of migrants, um, I think also the groups that were mentioned have got a right to protest when they see that um, there are people within our borders who are not complying with our laws. Um, and so I, I want to really say that we, as a portfolio committee, do support uh, matters of, up, you know, of supporting the rights of migrants. But we are also, as a portfolio committee, concerned about people who enter our country and do break our laws. Because all who are within the borders of South Africa should do so legally and should comply with the laws of the land. But thank you very much for the presentation. We have taken note of it. And, and thank you for your time to come to our portfolio committee to raise these issues. Um, and it is something that we will uh, take note of um, going forward. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, um, Honorable Izel. Honorable Lohase. Thank you, Honorable Mohale. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Um, we note the presentation from the Congolese uh, delegation. And uh, I must say that it's very disappointing to hear some of the things that uh, are mentioning, uh, Chairperson, that, you know, we have, we have not made South Africa to feel safe uh, for immigrants is quite unfortunate and I think um, the political environment at the moment is highly charged with uh, anti-foreign sentiments uh, which contributes to making our people because these are our people who might be divided in terms of these artificial boundaries but they remain our people. So it's very unfortunate uh, to hear some of the um, leaders in government uh, making statements which, uh, you know, contribute towards a climate of fear for our fellow African brothers. And I think the minister has also uh, been guilty of some of this uh, uh, statements when we can't accept that Chairperson. Uh, I think uh, we all know that we come from a very terrible past uh, wherein some of our people had to flee the country and they found refuge and accommodation in these African countries. Therefore, we can't allow a situation where fellow Africans who have run away from their respective countries uh, because of uh, the political situation. And what is also very interesting, Chairperson, is that, you know, we are taking, I think think government is taking a a very tough stance uh, towards uh, immigrants currently from Zimbabwe and other parts of the African continent. 
But on the other hand, the very same government is cajoling these African leaders who are creating these very same problems. It's 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 uh, very unfortunate. So, in closing, I just want to offer an apology uh, on behalf of non-xenophobic, non-Afrophobic South Africans uh, to our Congolese brothers to say that uh, we understand your situation and we'll do our level best to ensure that your rights are respected uh, in this country. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Mughale, for your contributions. Um... Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the presenters. Uh, Chairperson, uh, I think Honourable Lazelle uh, covered matters very well in that there are both rights and responsibilities um, in these cases. And I think that one of the challenges that we really have is a gap uh, between being able to engage in good faith. And in many cases, this causes uh, animosity. So I'll give you an example of uh, what we've seen over the last few years of of, uh, so-called refugees and asylum seekers, uh, persons gathering outside of UNHCR offices. um, And despite being engaged with um, refusing to follow the the rules of the country, of, of South Africa, and creating situations of animosity. Um, and I think certainly there's an opportunity, Chair. You know, we, we see a number of of organisations representing certain um, groupings, and I think there's a lot of value in in looking at in in those organisations trying to to come together in a larger forum that can engage with with ourselves, that can engage with government as well, and looking at some of the issues, because a lot of what we talk about is always. Uh, it, it, it can be very emotional. It's very difficult to get figures and statistics. So, for example, uh, DRC, a refugee coming from DRC, to get here, you need to come through two different countries to, to get here. Um, but next to the DRC is Uganda. And Uganda has probably, to my estimation, one of the very best refugee and asylum seeker systems um, in Africa. Um, so, you know, I think we, in, in those forums where, where you have the, the smaller organizations in, in a forum that, that one can engage with across the board, one can start to address, you know, what, why, why are persons coming across several different countries to South Africa, uh, where there are allegations of xenophobia, where persons inside the country are claiming that they're in danger? Why, why are then persons still coming here instead of going to, for example, a Uganda? where anecdotally there seems to be a, a very um, receptive refugee and asylum seeker system. And to try and understand that, but also to deal with some of the um, the diplomatic issues in terms of what is going on in the country. Because wh- one of the things that doesn't quite marry in this presentation is uh, there seems to be a a desire to... Um, to look at voluntary repatriation and how that can be facilitated. Um, but at the same time, then there's a defense that there is internal conflict and dictatorships in the sending country that makes it dangerous to go back there. Um, so, it, it, you know, one would think it's one or the other. 
as a chairperson, you know, I'd, I'd really um, encourage uh, this organization to really engage with other similar organizations uh, to try and get a broader voice and, a, and to consolidate that voice. And, and, to, and yes, we understand the, the human rights elements, but also looking at the responsibilities. For example, when, when uh, refugees and asylum seekers gather outside the United Nations, there is an engagement and, and they refuse to go. Uh, what is their role? in ensuring that that doesn't happen, that, that processes are not abused, that we engage in these things um, in, a, in a manner that is within the laws of the country and that, that makes it that we, you know, that doesn't develop this animosity uh, where we say that, you know, persons are coming in and they're, and they're breaking our laws. And I think we, we need to get to that point where we can have a, a, a sensible dialogue, a dialogue based on facts, where we understand from, from all the different organizations where we have a representation somehow, uh, where we look at who is coming for what reason, what is happening inside the refugee reception offices, uh, how many applications are being rejected out of hand, um, what are the issues in terms of diplomacy that are not being resolved that are stopping persons from going back so that we can actually uh, get somewhere, Chairperson. Um, so that is the, the inputs from my side, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Ross, for your contributions. Honorable Ramalobeng. I lost Honorable Lohasa earlier on. Is he back? Honorable Malekwa. Honorable Pile. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. And Chair, let me first uh, appreciate, but also uh, join my colleagues in saying that we note this report uh, for further deliberation um, and and uh, action. Chairperson, I think I firstly want to say that I would have appreciated um, a presentation um, around um, or a discussion and lead around the the slides that we saw. Um, more than having to read, you know, word for word, because I think uh, all members have received this and, and it would have actually assisted us if there was some kind of um, lead in terms of what the main discussions were. But having said that, Chair, I think it's important for us um, to emphasize that we are in pursuit of um, or for an African unity, but uh, respect for all our member states is absolutely central. I must also place on record, Chair, that um, the minister, in fact, is not guilty of anything. In fact, he implements legislation that is passed um, by Parliament, which is indeed informed uh, by our people. And just uh, in response of, I think, the last slide, Chair, just to make, I think it's important to note that all of our centres are opened um, except for one where there is current renovations taking place. However, this means that um, the system is, is, is and the processes uh, are moving very smoothly. Uh, we must also understand that we, uh, during COVID, experienced uh, certain restrictions and hence we had to have certain uh, have centers closed. Um, Chair, I think also important to note is that the online system is working very well and smooth. And lastly, I think the point about um, school or having to be admitted at school, um, you know, I have to indicate that um, 
children are allowed to at school. And I think there has been many a times where um, uh, discussions have ensued between uh, home affairs and the Department of Basic Education in ensuring that children are allowed to school. But Chair, um, I just want to say that we note this report and that we would further deliberate on it. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Lee, for your contributions. Honorable Mudisimta. Thank you very much, Chair. We let me also note and appreciate the report and the presentation as it has been done. Chair, I share all the sentiments as, as shared by the previous speakers, and that we will note the report and it will be sent to the department for more deliberations and action. Thank you, Chair. No, thanks, uh, honorable members, for your uh, contributions. It assists us to uh, refer the issues, the report to the uh, department, and thank also uh, the uh, presenters and the team that has presented to the speaker, and they refer the matter to the committee for deliberations or considerations. And I want to uh, thanks for having considered uh, to interact with the with the with the committee. Um, and I'm sure that uh, we will refer this report to uh, the Home, home Affairs uh, Department. We did not want the Home Affairs to respond on these uh, issues. If you check the entire report, make reference of uh, stakeholders or persons' names, um, and it may not be f- fairly correct to get into that uh, conversation with the minister uh, uh, where there's no privilege of uh, being interacted uh, with this uh, report. At a particular time, the minister will then respond to the a committee, and we then report to the to the speaker on how we've interacted with these issues of the of the Congolese. And I must appreciate all members for having contributed and also noting uh, this uh, report. Uh, thank you, uh, the team uh, Congolese uh, Civil Society. We'll step off this item, and thanks very much, uh, Mr. Matonsi. We'll then get into the second item, third item. Yes, Chairperson, it will be the presentation by the department. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's now 10 o'clock already. Um, can we take, can I get members, if we can take all the reports, then we reflect later. Uh, I'm trying to solicit uh, if that won't be uh, assisting the meeting for purpose of uh, more deliberations uh, on all the reports, excluding the electoral amendment uh, bill later. Um, can I establish that uh, if it's possible? Mr. Matons, which are the reports that you can take at once? And person, if it's not the... the the Home Affairs report and the UNHCR report, because they are basically briefing us on almost the same thing. So we can take all of them together and then we engage with them after. Okay. Can I lobby understanding if you can take that? 
Honorable Mojale. Honorable Mojale. Uh, come again, Chair. I'm trying to I'm trying to get uh, guidance from members. If we can Oh yes, yes, them. we can we can take all of them, uh, Chairperson. I support that. Okay, Honorable Zell. Agreed, Chair. Agreed. Honorable Rose. I support the chairperson. Honorable Modise. Agreed, Chair. Okay, thank you very much. I think we'll take the two reports, then members will engage after that. Thank you, Minister. You can uh, uh, Start, thank you. Thank you, Chair. Starting with the, <coughs> sorry, I was starting with the Oma first, uh, Mr. Matunz. Yes, Chair. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Honorable Members. Chairperson, we've been asked to come and present three reports here. The first one is the opening of refugee offices in South Africa after they were closed during the COVID, uh, uh, for the two years during the COVID uh, pandemic until uh, the state of disaster was lifted in April this year. We're going to be reporting to you what is being done, what are the problems, and uh, what is outstanding. But I want you to understand, refugee Offices were not closed for any political reason, as this seems to be the claim. They were closed because of the issues of COVID. In other words, I could simply say it was a force majeure, which happened in many parts of the world. As you know, borders were closed all over. It is not because Home Affairs wanted to close any refugee or asylum seekers out of South Africa. Everybody knew what was happening during COVID. But now that we have opened them, uh, we are still surprised that a call is being made to open refugee reception offices. They are open and the report is going to outline what's going on. The second presentation, uh, and that first presentation uh, will be made uh, 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 by the immigration uh, 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 branch of the Department of Home Affairs. I think the DDGCA. The second one is about the issue of aidlessness, which has caused a lot of confusion and sometimes it gets distorted. We are trying to explain what statelessness is uh, in as far as is defined by the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugee, but we are also bringing in uh, the issues discussed with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugee the deputy commissioner responsible for protection, Ms. Gillian Triggs, on the 25th of January, where these issues were discussed and clarified because people seem to be sort of confusing them, the issue of statelessness and what South Africa is doing about that. Then lastly, the longest of the report, and I must warn, is very long because members need to have that information, is the issue of the backlog a project. And I must also try to explain what the backlog is about. There's a common belief that Home Affairs has got the backlog on the processing of all refugees and asylum seekers in the country. And that is not necessarily so, Chairperson. 
we don't have a backlog on people who are coming in for the first time to demand or apply for asylum. The backlog, as you'll see from the presentation, is people who have been rejected already are on appeal. In other words, people who have been processed in terms of the United Nations Convention of 1951, in terms of the United Nations Protocol of 1967, in terms of the Organization of African Unity uh, Convention of 1969, and indeed, in terms of the domestication of those international conventions, in our law in 1998, the Refugee Act uh, of 1998, in terms of that people who come here asking for asylum or refugee, they get uh, 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 processed. And after processing whatever the answer is, then they, they start an appeal process, which I must say is over-elaborate in our country. And, and for that reason, there is a very big backlog on that uh, because it's an unending appeal process. Having noticed this, we have had a meeting with the United Nations Convention for Refugees, and we need to thank them. And we agreed on a joint plan, which is funded by the United Nations, as you see, on how to deal with that backlog. So this presentation is going to be about that. And uh, I'll start first by introducing the DDG for Immigration, uh, Ms. Yusuf Simons, to present to you on the opinion of refugee offices in the country. Then I'll, I'll come back and introduce the second speaker and then the last one. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. Uh, DDG Simons. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Um, good morning, Honorable Chair. Good morning, Honorable Members. Good morning also to the Minister and Deputy Minister and DG. Um, Chair, the slide is, the presentation is very short, it's eight slides. Um, so the first slide uh, deals with the number of offices we currently operate, Chair, and members. As, as the members would know that we operate from five refugee centers countrywide, in Durban, Pretoria, Kabecha, Musina, and Cape Town currently. And over the COVID-19 period, Chair, um, all of these offices were closed for a period of two years. Um, but over this period, Chair, um, Minister also issued a directive that extended the period um, uh, and the asylum permits for refugees and asylum seekers over that period. And in April 2021, uh, the department then introduced an online solution to work parallel with the directive, uh, Chair. Um, this is where uh, your asylum seekers and refugees actually required permits um, to conduct their work, study, etc. So these services that were then introduced in April 2021 uh, related to permit extensions, uh, collection of decisions, referral for final finalization of claims, as well as importantly, chair and members, IDs and travel documents for matriculant refugee minors, as well as permit, uh, persons who wish to take up employments. That is part of the background for this presentation, chair. The next slide speaks then to the uh, services that um, that's currently provided at refugee reception offices from 3rd of May 2022, chair. All refugee centers across the country have started to operate fully, except Cape Town Region, a refugee center. And that is only for newcomer applications, Chair. As the members would know, 
that the, the Cape Town Refugee Centre is currently being refurbished. Um, the refurbishment is completed, uh, will be completed by the end of this month and handover of the site will be done to the department by the end of September this month. But current services that continue, Chair, is the extension of the, um, uh, the applications for permit extensions. Um, that's just done online through an automated system that continues. And where clients do struggle with the system, if there are struggles with the system, Chair, they are invited to come into the office where we will assist them on appointment basis to finalize their application for extension. Chair, the next slide just speaks about statistics. Uh, and this shows um, how the system really is working, the online system, uh, Chair. Uh, so the next slide, slide five, if that can be displayed, Chair. So slide five summarizes the statistics for a month, for seven-month period. From one so January. The slides are not moving. Is it on my side? I'm sorry, Chairperson. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. So this is the p- period, Chair. If we can just go one slide back to slide number five. Chair, this is an important slide for the members and yourself to know, Chair. Um, so for, for a seven-month period, the online system that we are currently using serviced 87,478 persons. Chair, uh, majority of that was for extension of Section 24 permit, which is for refugees, and um, Section 22 permit, which is for asylum seekers. 43,000, more than half or half of that, Chair, was for extension of of Section 22 permits, which were all done online, Chair. So the system for us is working, and that's the numbers that can justify why I'm saying it's working, Chair. And I must also indicate these numbers come from our NIST system, our refugee system, um, so it can be ordered the check. Thank you. The next slide. The next slide speaks to uh, the newcomer services, Jay. Um, and this is the first instant applicants. So from 3rd of May, as I indicated, when the center opened, um, and during the lockdown period, we had no newcomer services. But when the centers opened on the 3rd of, of May this year, we estimated, um, and this is statistics over the years, Chair, that we can expect 40,000 newcomers to visit our refugee centers. We then had engagements with the UNHCR in January at a high-level bilateral, and we agreed that what's going to be needed, uh, Chair and members, is a solution that the department needs to develop to assist in in managing these high numbers that were going to come to our offices. So on 3rd of May, when we opened all our offices, Chair, we also launched a system um, for the newcomers um, for the because we knew the returns were going to be in bigger numbers. So since the resumption of our newcomers services, the department has processed 4,218 newcomers already, Chair, and has 9,057 booked for future dates. These stats is at the end of July 2022, Chair. Recording stopped. The next slide speaks about um, what we need to do moving forward in managing uh, this demand that's placed on us because of the two-year period, as Minister indicated, that we were closed during the COVID period. Okay. Recording uh, in progress. Let's go back to, to slide number seven. Thank you. So because of the backlog that was building over the last two years, uh, Chair, we had to put in a recovery plan because we have to look at the risks of overcrowding and how do we manage that. So we will continue, number one, 
We will continue with the online extensions to reduce the volumes of clients that need to visit our office. So that's very important. Um, we want to prevent these long queues, unending queues around our refugee centers, Jay. Secondly, we also receive funding this financial year to appoint additional com- capacity at refugee reception centers. And in total, it's about 28 posts that we have. We're in the process of filling. Many of them we have filled already. And importantly, um, on slide seven, importantly, the office manager of Rebecca and the Cape Town office is also included in that capacity that we'll be filling now, Chair. What also, what's also included there, Chair, is inspectorate positions at both Musina and Durban refugee centers. Then thirdly, Chair, um, we, we will prioritize because Cape Town refugee um, center has a huge capacity um, when it's opened to deal with newcomers. So we are prioritizing uh, the opening of that center. Um, we have a number of site visits to that center. We are very happy that it will become a, a best practice model for us on a refugee center chair. So we are eagerly awaiting the opening of that um, center, which will alleviate the pressure on the other centers. And then lastly, chair, it's over time um, because of the high volumes and the backlog that we have built up. Um, we have put a submission together and we envisage to start working overtime from 1 October until the end of the financial year to really deal with the applications that we have on hand. On that note, Chair, I want to, um, the presentation is then submitted to the Portfolio Committee and it's recommended that the Portfolio Committee note the presentation on the reopening of the refugee centres. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, uh, Mr. Simons. Minister? Yeah, Chairperson, just before calling the next speaker, I want to report to the committee that the progress that is being made on the Cape Town Refugee Reception Center is actually overseen and monitored by a judge because you may remember that uh, this was a problem between us and public works, but the matter went to court. So so as to whether we're making progress and we're living in terms of the cost order, the judge frequently visits this center, and as far as I'm concerned, he's satisfied. I want to emphasize that we work within the laws of the country. We don't do anything out of our heart. We follow the laws, and that's why the opening of the reception center is actually monitored by a judge who, 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 who records his satisfaction of whether we are doing the right thing or not. The second issue is on statelessness, Chairperson. I'll call over the DDG for civics. Mr. Sigama, to do the issue on statelessness. And I must advise up front that when people talk about statelessness, uh, they think about somebody from another country. Uh, I want to explain because it might not be clear to you when the definition comes from the United Nations. According to the United Nations definition, people can be stateless even without having crossed any border whatsoever simply by not having documentation and living in a particular country, having never left that country since they were born, being born a fit citizens of that country, but they may be rendered stateless because of having no documentation. And we meet such people every year in our country. On these trips that we are making around the country with mobile units, we do find 60-year-olds who have never had any document in their life in a way, those are, will be people who are also 
regarded as stateless until such time that they are given their documents. So I'll call over Minister Sigama. I think this is the shortest of them all. Thank you. The, is the minister of what? Mr. Sigama is a DDG for civic. Oh. Minister, minister Sigama. Ah, well, I said Mr. <laughs> Thank you, Sigama, Mr. Thank you, Minister. Mr. Sigama, DDG. Thanks very much, Chairperson. Um, thanks very much, Minister. Uh, members of the committee, mine indeed will be a very short presentation. I will be taking uh, the portfolio committee. Uh, on statelessness. As Minister indicated to earlier, I think we'll have to define what statelessness is all about. It is or A stateless person is defined under the international law as a person who is not considered as a national by any state under the operations of its law. Although statelessness, stateless people are also reduced, uh, uh, most stateless uh, persons have never crossed the borders, as Minister indicated earlier. The concept of statelessness is misunderstood, and there is uh, misconceptions, and it's often misinterpreted. Then uh, you will recall that on the 8th of December, there was a march uh, to the Home Affairs uh, by the Consortium of Refugees and Migrants in South Africa, COMSA, to demand South African birth certificates a, a registration for children of refugees and asylum seekers. It is against this background that the Minister of Home Affairs engaged uh, the UNHCR State High Commissioner of, uh, for Protection, Ms. Gillian Tricks, uh, at a high-level bilateral meeting that was held on the 25th of January 2022. So in that meeting, Chair, if we can move to the next slide. Uh, in that meeting, Chair, stay slide five, the UNHCR agreed that uh, South Africa is not obliged to grant citizenship to every child born in South African territory to non-South African parents unless there is indication that it would lead to statelessness. And in line with the 1961 Convention on the Reduction of Statelessness, and you know that uh, South Africa is not a signatory to the 1961 uh, convention. So the meeting, if we can proceed to the next slide, the meeting between the minister and the assistant high commissioner of uh, UNHR also agreed that the practice of South Africa of issuing a record of birth to children born on South African soil, but of non-South African parents is the correct one. And the record of birth should be presented to the embassy of the parents' countries of origin who they issue the birth certificate in accordance uh, with uh, their laws. I'm sure you have heard Minister Trent expand on this matter, to say when a child is born in South Africa, we always uh, provide a, a record of birth so that those parents can then visit the nearest embassy uh, to then get uh, the birth certificate of their uh, children. So the UNHCR, if we can go back to slide six, uh, Chairperson, uh, see the presentation is now stopped. Yeah, it's not uh, moving, uh, Mr. Skama. Slide six, please. 
Thank you. Thank you. The UNHCR and government of South Africa agreed that a common statement on the definition of stateless uh, person will be issued. But at that point, we have not yet issued that statement, but there were common grounds uh, during those deliberations. So it is important to note that indeed, whatever South Africa is doing is something that has been recognized and it's something that indeed we will live to it and make sure that those that are born in the country, they're provided with record of birth so that they can then visit the nearest embassy for them to get the proper birth certificate in accordance with the, with the laws of their countries. So then the slide seven then uh, talks to the parental linkages, uh, which then talks to section five of our birth and death act. Uh, Chairperson, I must indicate that this section indeed makes provision uh, uh, to those who want to register to say, in the case of a South African citizen, particulars obtained from the birth notification shall be included in the population register, and such inclusion is the registration of the birth consent. This is how we normally register birth. We look into the act, we look into our regulation, our SOPs, and make sure that we then talk to uh, Section 5 so that we then uh, uh, register children that are in need of our enabling documents. Then uh, slides, uh, the next slide uh, talks to the acquisition of, of citizenship, which then makes reference to Section 2 uh, and Subsection 2 of the Citizenship Act, Act number 88 of 1995, which clearly states that any person born in this uh, republic and who is not a South African citizen shall be a South African citizen by birth. If, that's number one, he or she does not have uh, citizenship or nationality of any country or has no right to such citizenship or nationality. And second one, which is B, says if his or her birth is registered in the Republic in accordance with the Birth and Death Act, which is Act number 51 of 1992. But also it is worth noting to say a South African birth certificate has a South African ID number. And uh, therefore means this means that it can only be given to South Africans. I think it is important when we deal with this aspect so that they understand the rationale between the record of birth and how we then uh, make a distinction to those who have to acquire a citizenship and what are the conditions wherein all these people will have to get uh, to gain uh, access to our South African documentation. Then lastly, uh, to indicate that we'd like to really recommend the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs uh, uh, that the presentation on statelessness is shared for information purposes. Thank you, Jefferson. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Sgama. Um, Minister? Yeah, Chairperson, the last presentation is on the issue of the backlog project. I've already outlined uh, what actually the backlog means, and I want to emphasize again, it's a backlog of people who come into come to South Africa looking for asylum or refugee status who have been processed and were not successful, but then they enter the appeal process, and that appeal process has got lots and lots of backlogs because it's over elaborate and as I said, it's unending, and it's a joint project between us and the United Nations to clear this backlog, which started building from 2008. It's not a backlog that originally started with Home Affairs. It started on 2008 when the economy of many countries collapsed 
especially more so in Zimbabwe, and lots and lots of people ran to South Africa, uh, most of them, of course, being economic migrants, but coming under the, the, the asylum and refugee system. And that's how the backlog was built. Now, the, the backlog project is under the auspices of RASA, Refugee Appeals Authority of South Africa. RASA chairperson is a, is a, is a statutory body uh, under a law passed by a parliament that we must have a refugee authority to which people can appeal. The other body, which is not presenting today, uh, is SCRA, or Standing Committee on Refugee Affairs. That one is not the Standing Committee of Parliament. It's also a statutory body under the Immigration Act established by an Act of Parliament, where some of the appeals will go, as it will explain to you. The person to make the presentation is a new chairperson, of, of Rasa, you have never met her before. The previous chairperson, we have got a new one. It, she's advocate uh, Zelfara Pesu. I think I will ask her to show her face uh, before presenting. Maybe thereafter she can, uh, what you call, her, close a video. She can mute a video, but uh, you, you are meeting her for the first time. That I'm introducing her. Rasa has got a new chairperson and she's going to make the presentation to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. Advocate? You are muted, Advocate. My apologies. Good morning, Chairperson. Good morning, Minister, and good morning uh, to all the members. My name is uh, Zelfara Pesu. Uh, I'm the new person at RASA. I joined RASA this year in June. Can you yes, can you show your face, advocate, just once, please? Sorry, chair. Oh, yes, minister. yes, minister. My face is on. The minister is the one that is disrupting. Uh... Are you all able to see me? Yes, you can proceed, uh, advocate. Yes, oh. you can. You can minister, proceed. Can you see me? No, we can oh, see you. Okay. The chairperson can see you. Oh, thank you. Proceed. Oh, thank. You. Thank you. May I then switch off the video now that you have seen me to start with the presentation? No, no, thanks, advocate. Thank you for it. Thank you. I'll start my presentation by uh, the introduction, which is the background and elaborate uh, what RASA is, as the minister has already summarized, uh, and proceed right along. Uh, RASA, RASA is an independent uh, statutory body uh, established in terms of uh, the Refugee Act. Our primary mandate as RASA is to consider all the appeals made against the decision of the uh, RSDO, the RSDO, the State Refugee Status Determination Officer. As the minister has already indicated that uh, RASA's mandate is to deal with these appeals, these appeals uh, which are emanating from uh, failed uh, asylum seekers. And now I will outline the process uh, for a better understanding of the members, how it works. When an asylum seeker uh, arrives on the shores of South Africa, they arrive at an RRO, Refugee Reception Office, whereby they will make an application and uh, they will be heard by uh, an RSDO. And an RSDO has can either grant, grant the asylum seeker 
asylum or reject the application uh, as manifestly unfounded, abusive or fraudulent or as unfounded. I'll elaborate on the two. Um, applications which are found to be manifestly unfounded uh, are dealt by uh, the Standing Committee on Refugee Affairs and those that are found to be unfounded they are dealt with by us, by RASA. So uh, let me elaborate on what we mean when we say uh, a claim is uh, or manifestly unfounded. And, and uh, manifestly unfounded position sorry, is that Sorry, advocate. advocate. I'm not sure is it on your side. This, uh, but Eddie, who's... The somebody's not... Muted. I think the person disrupting the presenter. Okay, proceed. Thank you. Thank you. As I was saying, I was elaborating on uh, uh, what we mean when we say a claim is manifestly unfounded and when we say it's unfounded. Uh, when we say a claim is manifestly unfounded, we simply means that the application for asylum was not made on the grounds other than those contemplated uh, in Section 3 of the Act. Section 3 outlines what a a person who qualifies for a refugee uh, is. And uh, Section 3 provides that uh, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted by reason of uh, an asylum seeker's race, gender, tribe, religion, or nationality, uh, they may qualify to apply for asylum under uh, subsection 3A, and subsection 3B provides that owing to an external aggression, occupation, foreign determination, or other events seriously disturbing public peace, one can qualify for a uh, refugee status. And the last subsection will be C, which uh, uh, categorizes uh, a spouse or a dependent of a person already uh, being contemplated uh, in A and B as, as, a, as, as, an, as a refugee. So those that don't fall under these categories, they will be held to be manifestly unfounded. And those who are unfounded coming to RASA, yes, their claims fall under this subsection A, B, and C, but uh, uh, there's an issue, maybe of credibility and other issues whereby an RSDO does not... Uh, see it fit to grant asylum, therefore they, 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 they then uh, proceed to appeal uh, through RASA. So that is the background of what RASA does and what we are all about. And I'll move to the next slide. I'll summarize. It's slide number four. Uh, as ministers already indicated, uh, we've seen in South Africa a, a highest peak of influx of asylum seekers around about 2008 uh, due to the economic meltdown which many countries experienced. South Africa also experienced a recession, but in our region, Zimbabwe was the hardest hit uh, and with a near a collapse economy. So from this period going forward, we saw an avalanche of uh, asylum seekers coming through to our shores. And for the first time, South Africa received an asylum seeker in such numbers that the system could not keep up with the demand. Uh, similarly, uh, RASA uh, also was subjected to these unprecedented numbers of failed asylum seekers. Uh, I would like to put across that 
then in 2008, uh, the Refugee Act uh, provided uh, for RASA to be constituted by a chairperson and two members, two or more members, two or three members uh, who will deal with the appeals. So it became a problem in that as they were sitting as a quorum, the requirement was that they must sit uh, as a quorum at any particular time while hearing uh, this uh, and determining these appeals. So the problem came where uh, we, 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 we receive a, a large number of asylum, failed asylum seekers who have been rejected in the first instance by the, by the RSDO. So the Refugee Appeal Board, as it then was, then devised a means to say, because of a large number of asylum seekers, we will then uh, uh, adjudicate these appeals and determine them as sitting as single members. Because as we're sitting as a quorum, it, is, it, it, it creates a backlog uh, for us. Remember, we've got uh, five uh, refugee centers in the Republic, meaning they will move from head office in Pretoria to go to Kaberha and then proceed to Devon, proceed to Cape Town, proceed to, 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 to Messina to have this uh, um, to have these hearings as, as a quorum. So with that as well uh, 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 contributed to what uh, uh, Rasa has now a backlog. Uh, I'll proceed to the next slide. And I must also mention that uh, during that period, uh, there was a decision of the Western Cape High Court uh, by the name of Herrerimana versus the chairperson of the Refugee Appeal Board, where we were taken uh, to court uh, merely because uh, we were not constituted as a, as a, as a, as a quorum. That uh, decision that Rasa had initially taken to sit as single members to adjudicate on this uh, application in order to clear the backlog came back to, to, to bite our hand, whereby the court found that uh, 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 the, 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 the processes of hearing uh, was uh, procedurally flawed in terms of, of Rule 53 of the rules of the High Court, and uh, we were ordered to remit the matters back to the to the RAB. Then some where decisions were substituted uh, by the judges on the bench to say grant these people uh, status. So having uh, uh, this uh, jurisprudence at hand, uh, the department then sought to amend uh, its legislation so that uh, a, a single member that can then proceed to, to hear uh, one appeal. And the act was subsequently uh, amended. So I'll briefly also touch on what the minister has highlighted uh, on the inflow of economic migrants. Uh, the situation that we have now in South Africa is that there is no legislation currently dealing with economic migrants. Yes, we've got Junan and Bonafide asylum seekers, and yes, we have uh, uh, what we call economic migrants, because as we're adjudicating their claims, some of them during these hearings they are in, in their claims, they will say that they are here uh, to, 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 to make a better life for themselves. They are here for greener pastures. They are here to seek employment. So in essence, those are our economic migrants 
as they say that them, they, they, they say that themselves without us uh, insinuating. So we currently don't have a legislation that deals with economic migrants. Similarly, our international treaties, conventions and protocols either, they do not provide such a legislative framework for us to deal with economic migrants. As, and as a result of that, everyone who's a failed asylum seeker in South Africa goes through the processes of appeal. So it is a, 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 what we called, what we can call a, 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 an unending bureaucratic ladder. Because everyone who's here, I mean, everyone who's here, who's, who's an economic migrant, if we are rejected on the first leg, and then you'll proceed to the second leg, to the third leg, up until to the last leg. So this is the an unending bureaucratic ladder of appeals that we have, unfortunately, and that is uh, contributing to what we have now as a backlog because we have to determine each and every claim as it comes to us. Whether there's merit into it or whether there's no merit into it, we have to adjudicate, listen to the asylum seeker and write a decision uh, to that effect. And it is just not a, a decision. It's a decision whereby RASA has to apply its mind because if it doesn't, these decisions are reviewed by the high courts. So we don't want to find ourselves uh, being said, go back and rehear this because you did not follow the processes. So RASA has to be careful and has to, to look at all applicable laws in order to come to a, a suitable conclusion in finalizing its appeals. Uh, I'll move to the next slide. In view of the, of, of, of the rising number of these appeals and with the background that I've already uh, put across, then uh, the department and the UNACR uh, joined forces in order to assist to eradicate this uh, backlog appeal cases and to also to prevent uh, similar backlogs from recurring through the provision of capacity support to RASA. Uh, I'll mention again that uh, the constitution of RASA, as per the, as per the Refugees Act, it constitutes a, a, a position of that of a chairperson and, and two or, or three members. And with this uh, partnership with the UNACR, we see uh, RASA being capacitated. Uh, UNACR, uh, through this agreement, has pledged to provide uh, RASA with uh, 36 members to come and adjudicate on these appeals. These 36 members uh, will be mainly uh, legal uh, professionals because, as you know, we are a semi, uh, I mean, a quasi-judicial authority. We are a tribunal acting as judges in these circumstances. Our determinations are judgments in the real sense of the court. So the DHA signed a project partnership agreement uh, with the UNACR on the 8th of March uh, 2021. And this agreement has paved a way for the implementation of what we call Plan 2019. And I've indicated there the total cost of the plan uh, with the employment of this uh, 36 members, which is 146,784,364. So the department similarly has also pledged uh, on their part how they were going to assist uh, this uh, uh, project by offering uh, administrative support and 
many other uh, support structures uh, to Russia. Then I'll move to the backlog project uh, background. Uh, as I've already indicated, uh, uh, that uh, uh, we we were the department was I mean Rasa was lambasted uh, in the decision of Herer Mana uh, on a single uh, decision making by one member. Uh, we moved uh, from that, and then the plan through the plan and development of the project, uh, uh, we developed an adjudication strategy based on the assumption that certain conditions will obtain, such as amendment of the legislation to allow RASA members to consider appeals cases individually in terms of the Herbert Manor case. So uh, this plan 2019 between uh, the department and the UNACR stands as an ultimate roadmap to guide the implementation of the backlog and to conceptualize uh, this adjudication strategy. The next slide. The next slide deals with the project, uh, the scope of the project. Uh, says there, the project uh, sets uh, various aspects of the project to come to an efficient, cost-effective, and fair decisions. And you will see there that there is an amount of 133,582 cases. This is our backlog. This is according to our National Immigration Information System, also known as NIS. Uh, this is what we have eradicated from the system as the current backlog that RASA has. So I'd also like to submit that uh, this backlog was closed on the October 2021, meaning this 133, as it stands, it's appeal cases up until uh, October 2021 when we closed the project to, to, to then determine that this is our backlog. So these cases are also divided into uh, three main categories. We have heritage files, which are appeals emanating from uh, 2011 and prior. And then we have our mid-range files between uh, 2012 and 2016. And then we have current files, which will be uh, files from 2017 and that October 2021 when we closed uh, the backlog. So the next slide. Uh, it will show the um, backlog statistics. You will see that um, we have uh, all our uh, refugee regions on the slide, Cape Town, Devon, Musina, Tabera, and Desmond Tutu. So nationally, this is what constitutes the 133,000, the highest being uh, appeals in Desmond Tutu, which is in Pretoria and covers the entire of Pretoria and Johannesburg. Uh, they are sitting at uh, six, 66,264, with the lowest of uh, appeals being in Kabeha, which is 2,878. 2, so on the far left, uh, we see those categories, heritage, uh, mid-range files, as well as current files. So there as well, we will see that the heritage files, they are the highest uh, there are 66,303, and then followed by the mid-range, and then the current files. I'll move to the next slide. 
the next slide in essence uh, it details and tell us who do we have in the backlog uh, in the appeal uh, backlog of the rasa and according to uh, uh, there are categories in terms of the age. Uh, you can see there that we have our infants, zero to four years. We have a total of 173 sitting in the backlog, uh, meaning these are dependents to their parents. And then the second one, we've got a group of uh, our teenagers, five to 17 years, which... Uh, amounts to 5,626. And then the, the next group uh, will be the working class. I'll say the working class because it's 18 years to 59 years, which is the majority of our appellants. They are 127,077. And then the last batch will be our oldest, 60 years and, 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 and so forth which are 706. It is not a big amount. So the big amount on this line, it will be uh, our working class, 18 to 59 uh, years old. This takes us back to the issue of uh, uh, having also economic migrants uh, on our system uh, looking the backlog even further. This is a class where we find people who are still employed. I'll move to the next slide. The next slide deal with uh, the training of members. As I've already indicated, that uh, the department, uh, as well as the uh, United Nations, uh, have partnered so that uh, we can capacitate RASA to have uh, members to assist. These are the members. The members have undergone training in various aspects of the refugee law, in particular uh, on topics pertinent to the role that they will be playing, that is determining uh, refugee appeals. Uh, underneath there is the topics we covered, which includes uh, status uh, determination, establishment of the facts and credibility, country of origin information, administrative and constitutional law, judicial reviews, immigration and detention of illegal foreigners, as well as uh, sexual orientation and gender identification, and most importantly, the interviewing skills and the appeals procedure in terms of the laws. Um, RASA and the UNHCR collaborated on identifying suitable topics to ensure that all these new members are appropriately equipped to adjudicate and finalize all these cases in accordance with the best practices. Uh, more training of members has already started. It started yesterday, uh, and it is offered by the Judicial Institute of Africa, GIFA, relating to the administrative and uh, the administrative and constitutional law, as well as decision writing and judicial reviews. Uh, RASA has also extended an invite to the South African Judicial Education Institute, which is J through the Office of the Judge President of the Houghton Division of the High Court, uh, who also sits as a president of the International Association of Refugee and Migration Judges, to offer training to our members. And our request has since been received with warm hands. Uh, before I proceed, let me also briefly tap on this. We have attracted uh, qualified lawyers. When I say qualified lawyers, I mean admitted attorneys and admitted advocates. So 
we must also be mindful that uh, refugee laws and immigration law are specialized fields. And them being specialized fields, we couldn't attract many people who are familiar with this legislation or rather regime. So these members had to undergo thorough, thorough proper training because they'll be dealing with a life of individuals who are here to seek asylum and refugee. And we don't want a situation whereby somebody was not granted asylum when they deserve because they, they could not grasp uh, the content of the act itself. So the training is ongoing. The training is very, very intense. And from our side, we see there's an improvement. Members are starting to properly and uh, deeply grasp uh, the content of, uh, of the act, of the, uh, of the Refugees Act. Uh, the next slide uh, talks about the recruitment and the appointment of members. Yes, as I already indicated, uh, the first group of the project came into board on, uh, in June 2021, and then the next group uh, joined in July, whilst the last group came on board in August to bring a total of 31 members uh, of the envisage uh, 36 in terms of the agreement. And out of the 31 members that we have uh, recruited initially, five members have since resigned between the period of January and August 2022. And as things stand, we are currently having 26 uh, members and recruitment of the uh, outstanding 10 members is underway in the coming uh, few weeks. And then that will increase our capacity from 26 uh, to 36 members. And if I must say, uh, the reason why the five members left, uh, some, uh, they went back to their law firms as they, come on, they came on board during COVID. And now things are looking bright and then they went back to their practices. And then two, they left to pursue uh, other career interests. And one was uh, Professor Bani Pitiani, who was my deputy. Uh, he has since left to join uh, the Lotteries Board. I'll move to the next slide. The next slide I'll just pass because it deals also with the capacitation at RASA. This means, uh, this means the, admin staff, the admin staff that we uh, acquired. Now that we've got a, a large contingency of members and we are on a project, uh, the department has also pledged to do their part. We have offered an uh, office manager position, which never existed before. And uh, the office manager started in January this year, as well as appeal clerks who started uh, in December and January this year. Uh, we have further uh, received uh, nine graduates from the department who are graduate learners uh, to assist uh, members uh, with their day-to-day -day, uh, uh, dealings when adjudicating this uh, appeals, and we have now also received two, 12 interns from SACITA, the majority of which are LLB graduate, and they are based in all regions. So it means that every region will receive uh, 12, uh, I mean two interns. The interns will assist the members with their day-to-day -day administrative work uh, to fast-track this uh, hearing of appeal process. 
the communication outreach. Uh, these are uh, strategies that we are currently developing in whether to in order to to to, to reach uh, our asylum seekers wherever they are, because uh, as a country we do not have a system uh, uh, to track uh, asylum seekers. Uh, South Africa as well as being the only country with uh, integrated asylum seekers in their communities. Uh, we, I'll call it an oversight maybe on the part of our government to say we did not put processes in place to track these people, uh, these uh, asylum seekers, as in when they, uh, they get integrated into our society since we don't have a, 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 an encampment system. So the result is, as Rasa, for us to hear an appeal, we need to issue a notice, a notice which is desired to inform an asylum, asylum seeker who is an appellant before us to say, uh, on this day, uh, you are before us, we're going to, uh, to hear your appeal, and in order for them as well to prepare themselves uh, to bring legal representation and an interpreter when it, when it is necessary. So that period requires a 30-day notice for them to come over. So with this communication outreach, it helps us because some of them, we cannot locate them. You can understand a situation whereby somebody has since entered the Republic in 2012. So you don't know their whereabouts now, and maybe they've also changed their SIM card three times already, or they don't even go to that email address that they have provided us. So we are improvising, uh, 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 I mean, we are providing the means to get hold of them. We do also um, uh, reach uh, their stakeholders. We developed a brochure and a pamphlet, which we are currently distributing to asylum seekers, regional offices, NGOs, and other stakeholders. And uh, a stakeholder engagement was held in February 2022 to introduce this project and to inform the refugee community of the expected role and need for cooperation for smooth running of the project. As I've already indicated that we have those constraints that we, 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 are, we are struggling and to proceed with a making determination if we don't have an appellant before us. So these are some of the means that we've employed to, to reach to the applicants, uh, we've got a, a system underway, which will be an automated uh, WhatsApp uh, system. We have a system whereby these asylum seekers are blocked when they are renewing their Section 22 to say, before we can renew for you, go via RASA so that you can acknowledge receipt of your hearing and then come back to us to extend. And that has been working tremendously for us as RASA. And then the next slide is our adjudication strategy on how we're going to deal with this backlog going forward. The, our adjudication strategy, strategy includes tools such as file streaming and strategic uh, member assignment. This approach includes uh, the streaming of cases into categories that I've already indicated earlier so that we maintain uh, both efficiency and quality decision-making. Uh, the adjudication strategy divides the backlog of files into three categories, as I've mentioned, the heritage files, the mid-range, and the current appeals. It is also within our mandate as RASA to make a paper determination as an adjudication strategy. 
Paper determination, I'll explain it to say, is where uh, we don't hear an appellant at RASA, but we would have informed a particular appellant that uh, we've got everything that we need before us. We are proceeding with making a decision. And then if uh, an appellant insists or would like to be still to be heard by RASA, then we invite them to come. But if we agree that we have everything that we need before us, including their representations that they made through an affidavit, then RASA can then proceed and make uh, that paper determination without hearing uh, the appellant. Um, the next slides, uh, tabs on the backlog project progress to date. And uh, I'll state that as of 2021, RASA began allocating files to members for streaming and a recommendation of appropriate adjudication approach towards the finalization of these cases. And it must be noted further that the hearings only commenced uh, in uh, 6 December 2021, as RASA and I mean, as the department and, and the UNACR were still uh, finalizing some aspects uh, of the agreement. So this test, as it stands now, uh, emanates from December 2021. And at this stage, yeah, we have statistical reports, which includes uh, weekly dashboards to track productivity, which is shared amongst ourselves and the UNHCR uh, on a, a, a weekly basis. And we have also developed a case management system in order to swiftly eradicate uh, the backlog that we have. The next slide is the... It's a, it's a backlog project at statistics uh, to date. It is slide number 20. This uh, describes uh, the cases that we have uh, requested from the centers uh, to date, the ones that we have uh, scanned through our online system and the cases that uh, were allocated for review. Uh, review is a, a step that the adjudicator, a member, uh, does before the hearing where you can review a case to say, okay, this is a case from DRC. This is how I'm going to deal with it going forward. Uh, hearing scheduled, there's a number there. And then on the hearing scheduled, uh, maybe members will ask why uh, the hearing schedule does not correspond with the number of decisions that we have to date. I'll go back and tap on the issue of the communication outreach, that as RASA, we are still uh, on the phase where we were struggling to get reach of uh, these asylum seekers, and we are relying on uh, the, 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 their community representatives and many other avenues that we, uh, we have employed to get to, to, to reach to them. So we are now, uh, since uh, I'll say June, uh, seeing an improvement whereby we are able to, to reach to the asylum seekers through these mediums that we have employed. So the reason the stats here doesn't correspond is that at that stage, we were struggling to locate asylum seekers and also be mindful that that having been a struggle for us, we cannot proceed and make a decision because tomorrow if they take us to court for a judicial review we won't have a defense because indeed we did not hear them we did not notify them of the hearing and as a result it creates a further backlog for us 
the next statistics uh, it's, it's, it's the same as the, the previous one. It's just elaborative enough here. Is the stats uh, to date uh, September 2022? So uh, the next slide, I'll go to the interventions that Rasa has uh, to uh, reduce uh, this backlog. Um, as I've indicated, our primary mandate is to finalize. Uh, these appeals. And this is also in keeping with the Department of Home Affairs mandate to manage international migration efficiently and securely. So what RASA has as a plan is that um, new legislation which was promulgated, which allows us a single member hearings. So this has already been done. The Refugee Act as it stands now it has been amended and it, it, it enables RASA to adjudicate uh, as a single member, which uh, uh, is the, the cornerstone uh, of our agreement with the UNHCR to see the appeals uh, moving forward. And then another um, plan that uh, we want to look at and employ as RASA is to uh, make uh, group decisions so in terms of this point, uh, our, 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 our rules at RASA, they permit uh, RASA to also look at uh, uh, um, adjudicating uh, for asylum seekers in groups where a similar question of law or fact arises or where an asylum, seeker, um, uh, asylum seekers are members of the same family, uh, where it is practical and efficient for RASA to proceed with more than uh, one appeal. Uh, when it comes to the adjudication of new appeals, as I've indicated, we have closed the backlog uh, until October 2021. One will ask what then happens to the appeals that are lodged uh, post-October 2021. So this is what RASA has uh, in its plans. Uh, some of the members will be assigned to deal with the new incoming appeals to avoid recurring backlogs once the project has been finalized from recurring. So we don't want to be sitting with an, another backlog whilst we're trying to clear this backlog. So some of our members will be assigned to deal with the new uh, appeals as they come from the uh, refugee status determination officers. And also the issue of technology. RASA has moved to uh, digitalization of files. Uh, it is common cause that uh, the department uh, 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 was uh, okay. The, the departmental files are manual files, so we are all moving to the direction of digitalization. So to date, I'll say uh, Rasa has digitalized uh, about eleven thousand eight hundred and eighteen appeals which are already on the system, which the members can be allocated to deriving them from the system. And since the, the project has started, this has been, as we can say, the highlight for us, at, uh, uh, we see progress in terms of uh, getting uh, complete files. I must emphasize that uh, there is no court of law or there is no tribunal which can uh, adequately hear an appeal without an incomplete file. Because at the end of the day, you have to make a decision and 
what kind of a decision will a decision maker make without a complete file? So that is one of the hurdles that we had to overcome, and I'm happy to uh, submit that uh, we have since uh, passed that hurdle. We are digitalizing the files, and we've got complete files, and yes, we are moving right along and should uh, see greater results in the next coming few weeks. And uh, lastly, uh, another intervention will be an a live online system which is underway. Uh, it was presented to RASA by the department, which will be able to track productivity of the adjudication process, automatically update statistics and monitor overall performance across all regions. Uh, this I mean performance of all our 36 uh, members for, so that they are accountable to say, if one is allocated uh, five matters today, it will show on the live system. And when it's time to hand in the decisions, it will also show that these uh, decisions are due so that uh, we work on the same uh, footing and then they are accountable uh, to enhance the performance of the members. The last slide is the recommendation. I will submit that the portfolio committee note uh, the presentation of RASA uh, on the backlog project. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for detailed presentations. Um, Minister, I think these are the last three, is the last presentation of the three. Yes, okay. Can we then take the last presentation? Mr. Matonzi? Uh, Chairperson, um, Eddie has left us due to load shedding. Um, can I just confirm if the next presenters are um, presenting for themselves or if they want me to flight their presentation? Uh, are they co-hosts? Did you make them co-hosts, Mr. Adam? I believe Eddie made them co-hosts, yes. Okay. Yes, I believe that should be fine from our side. Okay. No, thank you. You can proceed. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Igor Chovano, I think yeah. you have been invited to take the floor first, yes. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson and uh, Honorable... Sorry. Yes? yes. So, so can you share the presentation, Adams? Uh, yeah, please. Uh, uh, yes, can you project the presentation? Yes, I'm doing it while you speak, yes. Okay. Okay, thank and, you. Uh, just move to page uh, two. Uh, honorable chairperson, uh, participant... Uh, is it visible now, this, uh, the presentation? Yes, it is visible. And uh, uh, honorable chairperson, uh, thank you very much for this opportunity to, to be present here and uh, uh, with you for the portfolio committee. Uh, also, uh, I'm... Uh, 
uh, take note of the presence of uh, Honorable Minister of Home Affairs and uh, uh, Dr. Mutsualedi and his colleagues. Also, I would like to thank the Secretariat, Edi Matonsi and Adam Salmon for uh, facilitating uh, our presence here. And also, uh, I would like to thank all honorable members of Portfolio Committee. Uh, Mr. Chairperson, uh, our presentation will focus on uh, three main points. And uh, these points will be related to backlog project, to reopening of uh, offices, and statelessness. Um, in, uh, in this regard, I would like to again uh, mention as uh, Honorable Minister Mazzoledi mentioned already the engagement of uh, government of South Africa uh, with uh, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees in high-level dialogue. Uh, this year in January, it was a, a unique opportunity for us to renew the engagement of the government and UNHCR on uh, the main strategic uh, uh, areas of collaboration and uh, specifically we are working together under a plan of five years to uh, to improve or to review some aspects in, uh, in terms of legislative reform, in terms of amending Refugee Act, judicial engagement, statelessness, refugee status determination, including backlog project, durable solution, and uh, statelessness. Uh, I would like to, to mention, because uh, when uh, uh, Honorable Member of uh, uh, Committee, Portfolio Committee, Madame... Uh, uh, yes? Sorry, the presentation is not moving. I'm not sure whether you've started. Yes, sir. can you move to second uh, file, please? So that uh, those that, uh, that don't have the presentation, they benefit from yes. the input. Yes. Thank you. So... Um, uh, I, I just will do this introductory part, and uh, my colleague, uh, Jesus uh, Perez-Sanchez, will, uh, will take further to, to present all these three points, which you can see now on uh, slide two. But uh, I wanted to, to mention uh, that um, Madame van der Merwe, uh, she mentioned a, a very good practice, which... Uh, South Africa is implementing, and uh, specifically, she mentioned about uh, opportunities for integration for refugees and not building camps. I think uh, uh, in this area, not only in this area, South Africa is playing uh, a role by uh, influencing other countries in neighborhood, and not only uh, by good practices. So, um, I. Uh, I will stop here, uh, Chairperson, and will uh, give the floor to Mr. Jesus Perez-Sanchez for uh, presenting uh, further our presentation. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot, Mr. Chivano. Through you, Chairperson, uh, good morning again to um, honorable members of parliament, uh, honorable chairperson, chairperson. 
So um, uh, just going forward in, into the specific three items uh, that were requested to present, uh, Asylum Appeal Backlog Project is one of them. Um, you may hear that uh, a lot of the points that I'm making uh, have also been uh, addressed uh, by the relevant uh, colleagues from uh, Home Affairs. Uh, but just to, to flag once again that um, it's, it's, UN, it's one part of UNHCR mandate uh, that has been reflected also in the global, global compact on refugees that, uh, as uh, honorable members of parliament know, is um, one of the key um, international commitment uh, at the global level towards uh, refugee protection. UNHCR invests heavily on, on systematic support and supporting governments around the world to create asylum systems that are fair, efficient, adaptable, and in, with integrity. So with that uh, mandate in, in mind, uh, we embarked in the support of uh, the current support to the Republic of South Africa to address the, the backlog of uh, asylum appeals. That started uh, in 2019 through developing a, an independent expert that uh, assessed the situation of the appeal states, uh, as the minister right, um, mentioned before, and put forward a proposed plan, uh, a vision plan, uh, a 2019 plan that's uh, sort of the uh, inspiration of the current uh, Asylum Appeal Backlog project. In March 2020, uh, the four-year pro four project partnership that uh, RASA also made reference to uh, kicked off uh, with two uh, distinct uh, goals. One is to eliminate the, the existing backlog of appeals, and secondly, to introduce mechanisms to prevent new backlogs from, from forming. And there is a number of uh, elements uh, that are critical uh, objectives of that project. One is file digitization to efficient decision making. Also, importantly, the roles of key support staff that will conduct research on countries of origin, prepare files, and stream the cases um, that will facilitate the final adjudication by the eligibility officers. Um, the agreed plan also put forward proposals that some individuals that we are now rating, uh, quantifying around 50, 55,000 in the backlog. And these are those who applied before December to, uh, 2011, received consideration for alternative uh, immigration measures uh, based on agreed criteria, not related necessarily to refugee status, but rather taking uh, into account their, their long presence in South Africa. This is what we call the heritage fight that were also alluded by RASA. UNHCR continues being an active member of the Backlog Project. Uh, we have uh, an advisory group that is the key governance uh, group uh, in the Backlog Project. It's formed by Home Affairs, the RASA and UNHCR and continues offering uh, financial, uh, staffing cost of the appeal adjudicators and technical support to the project through expertise, technical expertise on, on country of information, trainings um, that um, the uh, RASA member also alluded to. So uh, in terms of successes and challenges uh, thus far in the, what is the second year of implementation? Um, successes as uh, as advocate uh, Rafesu mentioned, we now have uh, the great majority of appeal officers uh, in post and, and based around the, the different offices uh, throughout the country. Uh, a new chairperson um, who took the floor today, uh, Ms. Rafesu, was appointed and is taking charge of the project. The engagement with uh, between UNHCR and Home Affairs and RASA is open, positive and, and collaborative. 
as regards the, the heritage uh, cases that I mentioned, uh, there's been a heritage file uh, committee created. And importantly, um, I made reference before to the Global Compact for Refugees as a very strong anchor of international advocacy, global advocacy towards refugee protection. Well, uh, South Africa pledged the, the commitment to address the backlog uh, at the Global Refugee Fair Forum um, and is now in contact with other countries uh, through this uh, Global Asylum Capacity Support Group mechanisms, uh, which um, we commend. Respectively, there are some challenges that we see um, uh, still um, um, there and, and that we work uh, constructively with the, the, the different members of the advisory group to address. The number of appeals remains still uh, low. Um, there was um, 450 decisions made and 284 incomplete uh, files returned back to, to home affairs. I, I noticed the more updated figures that the Ministry of Affairs provided today. The quality of interpretation um, is something that has been flagged as uh, an area to improve. Some files that are incomplete and, and must, must be sent back. Um, the full complement and the full uh, uh, engagement of appeal members and, and vital support staff. So uh, we noted, um, um, we were glad to, to hear from uh, Advocate Rafesu on the uh, upcoming engagement uh, onboarding of their um, remaining eligibility officers uh, to adjudicate. Uh, there has been some delays uh, with the project manager that we now see uh, progress being made towards. And the refugee appeals officer, we noted the update from Advocate Rafesu on, on different interns, other support staff that are uh, fulfilling that role gradually. Um, heritage files uh, are still being verified, so it's something that the heritage file committee would be sized with, and obviously there will be a great impact on, on lowering the, the numbers, the backlog numbers that uh, we heard before from um, Home Affairs uh, members, uh, the, the 132,000 that uh, was uh, alluded to before. Obviously, by uh, addressing the heritage files, we may see a considerable uh, reduction to those. In terms of way forward, um, we continue supporting uh, Home Affairs and RASA to ensure that uh, all features of the original plant are, are, are implemented as agreed, including um, not only the, the staffing support, but also ICT equipment. There is a full uh, support by, uh, by a project manager, implementation as per the new adjudication methodology that also Advocate Rafesu made reference to. And uh, indeed, uh, and we appreciated the, the reference to this from, from Minister and, and other distinguished members from, from Home Affairs. The high-level dialogue continues being for us um, a key uh, reference, a key commitment uh, uh, towards the collaboration of UNHCR and DHA. Uh, obviously, backdrop project future prominently, but also uh, we explore the possibility of uh, expanding support uh, to quality of first instance asylum procedures. Uh, as other distinguished members also made reference during their presentations. Now, as regards the reopening of the RROs, uh, we uh, quite appreciated the updates provided by uh, Minister DDG on uh, the current members uh, and the current work being done um, as after the reopening of the refugee reception offices to, throughout the country, um, after uh, the end of the relevant national state of disaster and, and COVID-related measures. Uh, in particular, uh, we were uh, keen uh, and, and supported the 
the streamlining of services of uh, applications online. Uh, we are also encouraged to hear of the very upcoming uh, re reopening of Cape Town RRO. There were some gaps that we've been uh, flagging and, and observing. Um, for, for instance, uh, new asylum applicants, um, they will not uh, be issued a Section 2020 asylum seeker visa um, until uh, they lodge a notice of appeal against a first instant rejection. But we also took due note of uh, the current efforts to address this matter from uh, DHA. Uh, we also observe uh, some very high first instant rejection of, of particular uh, country cases uh, that we will continue engaging on. And uh, there was also the measure of um, uh, refugees and asylum seekers uh, with pre-COVID uh, expired visas being referred to the National Prosecuting Authority. We understand those proceedings. Um, we would like to, to suggest eventually some amnesty period as it was suggested and it was implemented before uh, the COVID-related restrictions. But that's something that we would like to uh, continue engaging with uh, home affairs and, and we quite appreciated the, the plan presented by the DDG today to increase the capacity and, and gradually um, get into a recovery of full services uh, at the level of uh, uh, prior to, to COVID uh, pandemic. Um, on the statelessness matters, uh, hopefully, yes, the, the slide is coming up. We uh, appreciated the definition provided um, by the minister himself, also by Mr. Sigama, uh, indeed, that's the uh, stateless definition as, as provided by UNHCR. Basically, um, um, persons that are not considered nationals by uh, the operation of any uh, national um, uh, legislative framework. Um, we commend the, the statelessness related pledges that uh, South Africa has made in the in the past. Um, we noted the commitment to eventually accede to the UN statelessness conventions, uh, 1954, 1961, that will further complement what is um, a very good uh, uh, level of accession to international commitments by, by the government. And even if uh, that pledge has not yet been implemented, we see uh, and we commend the, the progress towards uh, statelessness related matters uh, by South Africa. Um, so some of those positive uh, steps that we, we've been collaborating actively with government has been um, progressive nationality legislation that grants nationality to children born and registered in this territory who will otherwise be stateless. And we also um, made reference to that as one of the key outcomes of our um, high-level dialogue in, in January this year. Also last year, the drafting of the draft ministerial declaration of regional action plan to end the statelessness with uh, SADC, the Southern Africa Development Community. The ongoing collaboration uh, that we have as UNHCR with a government focal point on, on statelessness. Also the drafting of the African Union protocol on the right to nationality and the eradication of statelessness in Africa. And very importantly, um, uh, we're keen uh, to have collaborated quite closely um, in towards a national dialogue on statelessness uh, that we co-chaired and that culminated on a national action plan to end and, and prevent the statelessness. We are just uh, awaiting the final endorsement by, by key principals, but that set up a, a very progressive way forward on, on a statelessness that cover matters such as uh, identifying the, the key trends um, uh, and dimensions on, on statelessness matters in, in South Africa, important discussions on, on citizenship bill, and um, also uh, support to, to civil registration um, 
uh, eventually in South Africa and border areas. So all those uh, elements that were included in the National Action Plan is something that um, we will continue collaborating with the government and, and relevant civil society actors. So with that in mind, uh, we would absolutely remain available uh, for relevant queries and questions from, from the, the honorable uh, members of parliament. And we appreciate the opportunity of presenting today. So back to the chairperson and thanks for the opportunity. Thanks very much. I think we are now have uh, received all the presentations um, that uh, we members must interact with. And want to thank Minister and your team for uh, presentations also. Uh, members, this take us to comment on the report that has been reports that has been presented for our attention. After that, we'll then request invite uh, the uh, the team that has presented to summarize responses. Uh, or issues that uh, will be arising uh, from uh, members. Um, Advocate, I see your hand. Is there any other matter you want to raise before I invite members? Um, Chairperson, it's Adam Salmon here. We still have the Lawyers for Human Rights presentation still. Uh, Can I just confirm if they're with us? Were were you in the meeting when we started, Mr. Salmon? Yes, Chairperson. What did you hear when we were opening the meeting? Did they indicate that lawyers for human rights would not be joining us? Sorry, I, I was working on the submissions. So why are you asking us that you know that they are not joining us in the meeting? Oh, I missed that. Sorry, Chairperson. No, I'm saying you are confirming that we we reported to the meeting that they are not joining us because of the tight of the program. I'm not understanding why are you raising the point which you're confirming. I missed that. Sorry, Chairperson. Okay, noted. Thanks, uh, Mr. Salmon. Um, I'm going to invite members uh, in that sequence. Um, Honorable Lizelle, Honorable Lokwase, Honorable Mokhale, Honorable Rose, Honorable Ramalobeng, Honorable Molekwa, Honorable Pile, Honorable Tito, Honorable Mudisimta, we comment on all the all the report. I think members, uh, those that presented, take pay more attention to notes, um, so that we are able to respond. In that order, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and thank you very much to all the presenters. Uh, mine will be comments and a few questions of clarity. Firstly, I would like to say that I don't have any questions to the UNHCR, but just to thank them for their continued support uh, to our country and also to our department in terms of managing the affairs of asylum seekers and refugees. But then I want to go to the issue of RASA and listening to that presentation, I actually feel very sorry for RASA, I, I must be honest, because we talk about a backlog. But really what they face is an untenable situation. Uh, You know, this issue of manual files, um, files that are incomplete, um, the inability for them to trace asylum seekers or refugees uh, once they've integrated into communities, and yet they have to reach those appellants. Otherwise, once they get to a court process, they'll be found wanting. So really for me, it, it continues to 
even though we talk about progress uh, in terms of, of these presentations, I remain concerned that the system is, is failing us. Um, and also we speak about this endless appeals. In other words, a person is turned down, you know, they're not a legitimate refugee or asylum seeker, but our legislation allows for continued uh, appeals. And I want to know from the minister maybe whether the mooted uh, change in legislation will actually deal with uh, these loopholes. Um, during the RASA presentation, we heard that, of course, that you know many of these appellants can't be traced. I wanted to ask what percentage of appellants can normally not be traced. Uh, we also heard that many of these uh, asylum seekers or refugees are, in fact, economic migrants. And I also wanted to know um, what percentage of applications are normally, um, in fact, economic migrants. Um, Rasa, on one slide, uh, it speaks to the issue of they've now got 25 staff members, but they need 36. I wanted to know what time frames are we looking at in terms of filling uh, those vacancies. Uh, and lastly, when we speak about statelessness, recently there was a lot of discussion around economic migrants or people who get cross into our country to either use our healthcare services. Um, and I heard the presenter speak about notices of births that are given to migrants. And I wanted to know how many of those are issued each year. And finally, I also just wanted to say that, you know, I've never really heard our minister making any comments that he was accused of earlier. I, I do believe that our minister is a minister that seeks to ensure that he executes his responsibilities um, to the best of his abilities. And also, so I wanted to say that the comments earlier about the minister, I think, was unfounded. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Lizelle, for your contributions. Honorable Khwase. Honorable Mughale. Honorable Mulegwa. Thank you very much. Okay. You can proceed. Okay. Thank you very much, Chairperson. And thanks for the presentation that have been presented today. Chairperson, we also like to acknowledge the progress registered so far and also appreciate the intervention made in dealing with the backlog. And hope that in the near future, uh, the issue of the backlog will be the issue of the past. We would like to note and welcome all the presentation as presented. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable Ramolobe. Honorable Ross. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and uh, thank you to all the presenters. Uh, Chairperson, yes, firstly, I'd like to also um, echo what uh, Honorable Lazelle said about the UNHCR. Um, I think their contribution really to to um, South Africa has been immense, um, and we really appreciate uh, that contribution. Chairperson, I think it's, you know, it's a concern that we have these matters that we cannot close because of updated contact numbers. Um, and, and even in other countries, I know it's, it's very, I, I used to travel quite a bit, and you have to. You have to give your address at all times. You have to update the authorities if you deviate from that uh, travel plan. And I think it's something we need to consider, chairperson, from a legislative
data point of view. I don't know if there are any international law impediments against that. Um, but we cannot have a situation where we have such a, an onerous backlog and then persons are just not contactable by the authorities. And technically speaking, the application has been rejected and then they're in an appeal process. So I think that's something we really need to look at, uh, Chairperson. The, 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 you know, persons should be contactable. Uh, wherever they are, we should know where they are. So, for example, I think it's um, Costa Rica, where literally the government has, uh, they can tell you exactly how many refugees and asylum seekers they are right down to a very granular level um, because they implement that kind of system. Chairperson, then in terms of the um, the RRO in Cape Town, I think it's it's quite staggering that it still isn't open. I think it's been about four years. Um, so I want to understand what is the time frame now, how soon before it opens, um, and are any payments going to the service provider? So are, are there monthly payments that we're paying, um, and what are the extents of these these payments? I think it's critical, you know, if, if what... Um, uh, um, Mr. Simons was saying it's true that it is going to, to make a significant difference, that we need to ensure that it opens as soon as possible. Um, then I would just like to get a confirmation. The, the, you know, the minister said that there's no backlog on new applications. I'd, I'd just like to, to get a confirmation on that. Um, and then also in terms of the, the refugee status determination officers, um, giving a first instance rejection of asylum applications instead of a Section 22 asylum seeker permit. And I just want to understand why that is happening. Then in a previous uh, meeting, Chairperson, uh, I'd called for the possibility of an e-verification system um, because, you know, you, you have health services, social development, et cetera, um, that, that valid refugees and asylum seekers are entitled to. Um, I just want to understand the process of how do these organizations um, certify the validity um, of these documents uh, that they might uh, present. Um, because I had a situation, Chair, where over a weekend I got phoned and somebody had been arrested and they were incarcerated and an um, acquaintance brought their documents and they were made to wait until Monday for a Home Affairs official to come and verify the authenticity of that document. So I just want to understand how, uh, what process are, are in place place for government departments to verify uh, these documents and is there consideration for for e-verification or, or does a home affairs official need to come on in, in working hours and verify that document then in terms of the backlog chair um, i think it it seems like we're, we're quite a way behind and i just want to get an understanding um, are we going to complete this project within four years um, and if we're not going to complete it in four years, what are going to be the funding implications? Uh, how is it, how is it going to be funding? Where are we? I think, Chair, if we, if we are told that, that we have a project and it's going to be finished in four years, we need to not only understand where we are, but how are we going to get to the end? Then, Chairperson, in terms of statelessness, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's becoming apparent that we're not going to, um, meet the plan to end statelessness by 2024. Uh, but I think the concern from my side, Chair, is actually uh, a statement that was made in 2015 to Parliament. And it was by the Deputy Minister of Home Affairs, Fatima Chohan, um, who said that uh, Home Affairs is going to make screening more difficult for late uh, registrations of births um, because we know that most of who are taking up late registration are failed asylum seekers. And we see, Chairperson, that in our schools, on our lurid system, 
there are almost half a million South African learners that are listed as undocumented. And my question in this regard, Chairperson, and I've asked it in various different ways, but how do we, how is Home Affairs going to ensure that these children do not fall through the cracks? Because I think many of them, you know, if we say that the late registration of birth process is onerous and they get to a point where they're 18 years old and they go out into the world and they're undocumented, as they get older, the chances of them meeting the requirements of late registration of birth and that gets less and less. So I just want to understand uh, from the minister, what is the plan of the department in terms of trying to make sure that South Africans that find themselves undocumented for various reasons uh, do not fall through the cracks, Chairperson? And then finally, Chair, um, uh, just a question in terms of regulations that the court has required uh, to the Citizenship Act um, for the you know for for potentially state status children of undocumented migrants to be um, uh, to be registered. And I just want to understand um, where we are with those regulations. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Honourable Tito. If you have joined the meeting. Honorable Pile. Thank you very much, Chair. Chair, there's a Huawei uh, Nova 8 that is disturbing our meeting. I've, I've noticed that it's been happening even while Honorable Rose was speaking, but I did not want to stop it. Okay, let me intervene. Uh, Mr. Salmon, can you ask us to mute the Huawei Nova 8? Is it possible? Mr. Salman? Is uh, Adams in the meeting? Uh, Mr. Salman? Huawei uh, number eight. Sorry, I missed that chairperson. Say again. Yeah, I request you, Mr. Salmon, if you can mute uh, Huawei Nova 8. I think it's not... Uh, we're trying to request him to mute, so it's possible to mute him. Thank you. You can proceed, on play. Sorry for that, uh, on play. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Chair, um, I think firstly, I want to just concur with you um, and, and I just want to, I think, for, for the last time, place on record that the content advisor needs to follow the chairperson when it comes to meetings, particularly because at the beginning of this meeting, I think that was just time that we've wasted having to deal with a matter that we've already resolved on at the beginning of this meeting. Um, Chair, I want to also appreciate all of the uh, progress reports um, and I think it's important for us to um, give credit where credit is due. And I'm going to start off with the one that uh, was presented um, um, by the acting DDG um, in terms of the progress that was made um, for online uh, extensions. Chair, if you look at it, there's a phenomenal number of almost 87,478 in a period of seven months. And I think it, it, must, it must be applauded as a department that um, you know, this shows us that we are heading in the right direction. And I want to implore that we also try to uh, use some of the best practices um, and learn from this experience in terms of how we deal 
with other uh, different service units uh, within DHA. Um, just a few questions, Chair, in respect of the um, online uh, system. I just want to know if the department has experienced any um, system challenges or perhaps maybe have the, have the experience a time where the system has been down and how have they dealt with, with it in terms of uh, the, the extensions. Um, I also want to find out if there's any methods that the department's using in particular around tracking and tracing um, that number of almost 24,000 where they need to finalize it, um, where some of them have been sent back to offices and others have been requested to, to email um, um, further information or documents. Um, then in terms of the um, uh, RASA um, and the backlog, uh, Chair, I think I have to raise concern that um, while we have a brilliant system and, and I appreciate that we are making progress, uh, but it's important to note that there is slow progress in terms of finalizing. Uh, for example, there were 364 hearings, and I just wanted to find out how long it took for us to do that. But again, out of the 364, there were only 195 decisions. What is holding us back from having to give the rest of those decisions, uh, particularly since there were such a small number of hearings that took place? Um, and then how long do they envisage that the digital, digitalization uh, will take in terms of, of files? Um, and if I had to look at it, I think they've scanned about 1,418 case files. Uh, and this is quite a small number. Is there any way that we could be able to speed that process um, so that it assists all of the officers when, when it comes to having to, to listen to these um, hearings? Um, and then, Chair, lastly, in terms of the, the registration of births, and I think this is in relation to uh, statelessness, um, I just want to know how, how can the UNHRC um, be able to assist uh, or aid in respect of uh, birth registration, seeing that um, high commissioners' offices are actually not assisting the process. And it is actually the responsibility of that respective country to issue a, a birth certificate um, to a child that is born if the parents are from that country. So I think that's where our challenge lies, where they are not doing it. Um, and I think if there's any way that they could be able to assist or have some kind of discussion uh, with the um, uh, High Commissioner's offices of the respective countries. I think that will assist the process. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Pele, for your contributions. Honorable Mujisim, sir. Okay. I think uh, those are the issues that were raised by members. Um, We'll uh, start with the minister. You will assist us to uh, invite the presenters to respond to some of the issues. Then you will then uh, summarize and we invite the last presenter to also uh, summarize on the, on the issues that members have, have, have raised.
will that process assist us to get to the issues that members have raised? Minister? Yes, indeed, Chair, it will help. Uh, maybe before I s- summarize some of the questions, because particularly the, the, the questions to be answered are mainly from me, three members, uh, Ms. Van der Merve, Mr. Ruos, and, and Honorable Ruos, and Honorable Philip. Maybe let me... First, uh, no, no, Minister. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Minister. Uh, Mr. Salmon. The, the Highway Nova 8, uh, we request you with due respect. Uh, can you mute or excuse the meeting? Done, Jay. Thank you. Minister, can you... Okay. Uh, sorry, Minister. I see a hand, Jeff Biloy. I see a hand here, Jeff Biloy. Is are you part of the those that must respond? Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Good morning, sir. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen in the meeting. Uh, my name is uh, uh, Jean Paul. So, my question is a. Uh, yeah, I know South Africa. Uh, no, 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 no. Hold it there. Hold it there. We are dealing with the now on the responses of the issues that we raised by members. Um, the minister and his team, they will uh, uh, respond. That is the now the opportunity to interact with the committee um, in the manner that we are sequencing the presentation and the minister may need to 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 raise minister can you proceed yes chair i was saying uh, i'll come and summarize later at the end but i'll i'll like my officials there's a question from honorable uh van der merve uh of whether we know how many uh birth records have been issued. I I believe that information can be obtainable from the civics. I don't know whether they've got it at hand or they'll have to go to the records, but it's a it's a a, a question that can be answered from the records. Yes. I, I'll try Mr. Sigama to try it and tell us whether he can respond now or, or issue the answer later after checking the records. And then the issue of how many economic migrants I'm sure it's going to be a very difficult one because nobody comes here and say I'm an economic migrant. This is quite unusual. Usually people quote asylum laws uh, uh, because they know very well that that is what is in the conventions, international conventions, and that is what is in the Refugee Act. So I'm not sure uh, uh, whether we'll have a definite number because I think an issue of economic migration is an extrapolation. Uh, uh, we are extrapolating that people are not qualifying. 
because basically they, they, are, they are here for economic reasons, not for the reasons that are mentioned in the conventions or in the 1998 Act. But if uh, Mr. Yusuf Simons have got a, a figure on that, I'm sure he can also uh, uh, help. Thank you, Uche. Okay, just to addition to that, if Mr. S- all their presenters, you might have picked up issues that the minister could not cover, uh, you you quickly just uh, close up uh, uh, that gap. So it's easy for a minister to uh, to summarize. Then we'll invite the last presenter to also make comments. In that order, Mr. Simon. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Um, Honourable Chair, I'm also here with the, active, with the Chief Director of Asylum Seeker Management, Mr. Man, Mandla Matumisa, who can just put in some of the specifics on the questions, particularly from Honourable Ruiz and, and Honourable Pile. But let me start off. Um, uh, Honourable Ruiz um, contacted me also on this particular case of um, a person that was apprehended for not having the asylum documents with them. And, and, and the challenge with that that incident um, and the question that was raised by Honorable Ruiz is, doesn't other governments also collaborate with the Department of Home Affairs on the verification? Uh, the response is, Honorable Ruiz, this, the verification system is available for all government departments, similar with the banks. Um, so the police, at, at, for some reason or the other, um, prefers to call out our officials instead of looking at the system and verifying documents. It's a matter that we took up with that police station, because particularly if it happens over the weekend, uh, our officials need to go out there and verify documents. Uh, so that is a particular problem. But as I indicated, the solution is there. The verification system is there that we make available to the bank. So SAPS also has can have access to that system. Um, can I then allow Chairperson, just um, Mr. Madumisa, respond to the other technical parts about the opening of the office, et cetera? No, thanks, Mr. Simon. You can proceed. Thank you, Honorable Chair, uh, members of the committee and uh, Minister of Home Affairs, Deputy Minister and the DG. Um, uh, maybe let me start on the percentage of economic migrants. Uh, uh, we, we, I confirm and concur with Minister that we don't have that figure outright, but if you look at the asylum regime, the rejection rate is 95%, which we then argue that the people who have made applications are making applications other than um, related to the international protection, which then might extend to the understanding that there might be economic migrants or other forms of migration other than international protection. Then coming to Honorable Roth's questions, the issue of monthly payments. Currently, the renovations are done by the landlord. We will then be responsible for payments once we receive the site um, and the envisage date of taking over the site from the landlord is the 30th of um, this month. That means we will be in Cape Town next week, Friday, to take over the site. And therefore, immediately after that, on the 1st of October, we will be responsible to pay rental in in that site and we complete our our installations. The installations that are required are the sitter lines, the data points, the desks, and other things. Of course, our work started parallel to the renovations. So we are expected to be able to conclude in some of our own installations as home affairs and we envisage that uh, we will engage our minister will engage other relevant stakeholders including the judge on the official opening of that office and we'll be able to advise accordingly once those data confirmed we earmarked or envisage that our installations should finish just before the festive season 
and maybe we look at uh, to avoid uh, working on busy schedules of the festive season. We look at early next year in that area. And then um, asylum seekers who do not get the permit. I, I think, Chair, I must admit that uh, I'm picking up this one for the first time and it becomes difficult to respond to. Was that in terms of the process, once you apply for asylum and you get a decision, you must be able to get a permit. And after that, you are allowed an opportunity to determine whether you want to appeal the decision if it's a negative decision. If it's a granted, you're supposed to get a refugee status right away. That paves the way for you to apply for an ID or travel document, depending on what you want. Um, then the system downtime, I think is a question that came from Honorable Pillay. Um, of course, during the day, as you are busy on the system, we are scanning files for the backlogs and all that. We do at times, but it's not that prevalent. Ever since we've been using the CETA platform, things are moving faster, but at times you will get a downtime there and there. But in the main, our systems are more stable than on downtime. They get slow during towards midday. That's in the main, that's what we experience. The slight challenges you will find, it's a remote town of Musina. We are now in the process of trying to have a backup in terms of a mobile truck to make sure that the stability is similar to, to other, the rest of the, of the centers. And then how do we track um, if people came to, to the office, those that were invited to come to the office for any other reason? Currently, we only establish after the day has ended that the person who was advised to come to the office on a particular day has not been serviced, and we assume that they have not come, and we don't want to rely on assumption. We have therefore instructed our service provider on the system to develop what we will call onboarding uh, um, uh, a solution where each client that enters the gate will have to have his letter of invitation scanned. So we'll introduce a barcode on those letters. Number two, we take, because we have the solutions that take the thumb, the time will confirm your presence. So at any given time, the clients that are inside the building in the next three weeks will know who is inside the building as management, therefore will be able to track by midday, afternoon, out of the people that have checked in in the building, how many have yet uh, to be assisted. In that way, as management, we're able to intervene and say, indeed, these are the people that confirm using their thumb, using their letter barcode that they are inside the premises they are either by this time assisted or not assisted. So we'll deploy that in the next three weeks. We are just waiting for, for, for the finalization of the development. Then the last question relates to the digitization of files. We, we rely on the demand or the request from RASA here, but also as the senders, we are assisting the project by making sure that clients that are asking for extensions in this area, in particular, those that are asked to come to the office, we don't miss the opportunity to make sure that one, the file is ready for the hearing. Number two, it's scanned for RASA to receive it. So we are using those two solutions. Where RASA has requested files, we don't give them the physical file. We scan that requested file into the system to allow them to finalize the file irrespective of where they are in the, in the Republic. And number two, as clients visit our office, the files that are ready, we scan them. So. That population of 11,000, well, the solution that we're utilizing in the files is that we scan and then we take it through the quality assurance. The files that you see, uh, the, the figures that you see of the files are the files that have already been quality assured. We confirm and we know that they are ready. 
However, the files that are scanned that are being taken through the quality assurance processes, they go beyond 20,000. And, and, and those figures, I did not put them here because we have not yet verified those files as being ready for the finalization. Thanks, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Mr. Sigama. DDJ? Uh, thanks very much, Chairperson. Good afternoon, uh, members of the committee, Minister, Deputy Minister, DG, and all the members present. Uh, I'll start with the questions that were raised by uh, Honorable Ross, uh, where he indicated we wanted to check whether the uh, stringent uh, measures that are put in place in order to deal with the difficult cases in terms of the late registration of birth. Yes, I can confirm, uh, Honorable, that indeed uh, we have put uh, screening committees in all our offices. As you may recall, our regulation indicates that if you register birth within 30 days, there are no issues. We don't. We only have to verify and register. And then the part that requires screening, com- uh, screening committee are uh, for those that are above 31 uh, days, up to one year, one year, up to 14 years, and also the the last one, which is now called the LRB, which is late registration of birth in terms of those that are 15 years and above. So we've got two committees that have been formed at a provincial level. One deals with those that are uh, above 30 days, but less than one year. And there's another one that deals with the those that are above one year, uh, 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 a chairperson. So those ones indeed are being implemented on a daily basis, and we are monitoring them at back office. Then the second one was around the uh, the plan to address undocumented persons, uh, particularly for those that are at schools. Yes, as you are aware, uh, uh, Honorable Rose, we have got about 110 mobile units that have been used uh, to support that. And uh, we also have uh, uh, more than 391 health facilities that are connected. And as you are aware, there was a plan that was presented before where we indicated that uh, in the period of five years, we will have to make sure that we augment all the health facilities that we have. And in addition, we'll have to make sure that we add more. Priority one will deal with those that are, are, are registering a high number of births. Priority two, it goes on and, and like that. And then priority four and five are for those that are registering a very little, uh, less than uh, probably 50 a month. And then those are the ones that are really, we are not uh, really, th- those will then be uh, augmented at the outer years. Then uh, in, in that case, we'll have to make sure that every child who then visit our uh, mobile units, our health facilities, we'll have to make sure that they are then screened, issued with the, the right document uh, uh, so that they can be able to proceed with the with their lessons. Then there was a question by Honorable Lezel on the number of uh, uh, documentation that we issued. Uh, for those that were, were had to be issued with uh, uh, the records of birth, I must indicate as Minister Advice, uh, we are not able to give a figure of, of the head right now, but uh, uh, what I can indicate is that most of our figures are quite manual, and we have to make sure that we consolidate all the, the numbers that are sitting in our outside offices. We'll make sure that we make a submission uh, to uh, the committee so that we then provide the exact number in that regard. Thanks so much, uh, Chair. Thank you, um, DDG uh, Sigama. Um, Advocate Rapeso. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, I'll start uh, by the comments made by the Honorable Lizard van der Merve on the process of endless appeals. Um, 
Unfortunately, uh, that is what uh, our legislation provides, that uh, a failed asylum seeker at the level of an RSDO level, they've got an, an option of whether to appeal to, um, to RASA or automatically be reviewed by SCRA. So as an administrator, uh, RASA is uh, prone to uh, review processes. Uh, upon an uh, asylum seeker being uh, rejected finally, by RASA on appeal, they want to implore uh, their chances with the courts by uh, lodging a, a judicial review, which is the last leg of an asylum seeker. So I would say that in the past, the department would, upon uh, them issuing the decision of a rejection, they would issue a 14-day uh, permit within which they must wrap up their things and depart from the republic. And the courts were not happy with that to say this people has been in the this person has been in the republic for a number of years and they can't wrap up their life their entire life they've been in south africa in 14 days so that as well created this uh, unending uh, letter of appeals but as it stands this is uh, our appeal process uh, they all through go through it whether economic migrants or not we don't have any other legislation to deal with those. And how many economic migrants we have, the minister has already indicated, as well as Mr. Matumisa, we can't put a number on it. Uh, With us, RASA, it takes uh, a hearing, a hearing by a a member to interrogate an asylum seeker and to finally determine if this is a a refugee or this is an economic migrant. Other than that, you cannot, because the claim when it's made is made, somebody says, I'm an asylum seeker. And on the vacancies, the timeframes, we are shortlisting next week, Friday. Uh, We should have them on board uh, by October, the 10 outstanding members to complete uh, the number. And the issue of incomplete files, this is what uh, what I meant is uh, is that in the past when the project started, we did not want to risk having incomplete files because we are a, an adjudication body. So the department is providing us this uh, digitalization platform, and there is quality assurance, as Mr. Matumisa has indicated. And the files that we receive from them is those that we request for, from them because as the asylum seekers are coming through to renew their Section 22 permit. We then issue them with a, with a date for a hearing, and that will also lead to uh, the department uh, streaming uh, file uh, right to RASA because uh, the, 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 the systems are interlinked. Once we give you a date, then a file should be ready on the other side. And on the issue uh, of uh, reaching um, uh, asylum seekers, um, we have devised means. Uh, to, 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 to get hold of asylum seekers, and we are seeing a significant uh, progress in getting hold of them as opposed to when the project uh, started. Yes, it is a challenge, but we are working on it. As I explained, uh, together with the department, we devised on the means to, to block the system where, where somebody uh, doesn't uh, come through to acknowledge uh, uh, their notice of hearing. So we know that they come as an asylum seeker has to come through to extend their Section 22 permit. If you are then required to come and uh, acknowledge receipt of your notice at RASA, you'll have to buy, come by RASA first before 
uh, the department extend that section 22 permit uh, for you. And that has proven that uh, it's working and it's assisting uh, to us. So I'll also put this on record that in terms of the rules of court, uh, we use what we call a domicilium uh, executandi, uh, whereby uh, an asylum seeker would have used uh, the contact details that he has provided us with. Because in, in, in essence, it is a responsibility of an asylum seeker to obey the laws and the constitution of South Africa, including uh, informing the department at all times uh, when their uh, addresses or contact details change. So now we are working on a system where we are uh, imploring to them and engaging with their uh, community representatives for them to come through to RASA to give us their contact details and Yes, they are coming in numbers. We get calls, we get emails. Asylum seekers are coming through to give us their new uh, contact details. So that is what is working. And uh, I'll move to uh, Honorable Ruo's comments. He also tapped on the issue of contact details and uh, that we should know where they are at an particular point. I've already responded to that. And uh, I heard him say a new uh, backlog on new applications. I'm not sure if he's referring to RASA or uh, to um, the RRO slides. But in terms of RASA, I'll repeat, uh, with the new backlog, uh, we don't have a new backlog as, as, as yet, but the new application, uh, the new appeals that we will be receiving will designate uh, some members to deal with the new appeals that are coming through for us to avoid uh, a recurring uh, backlog uh, when we are done with this one. And um, Honorable Ross also asked uh, if we are going to complete uh, the backlog project in four years. Uh, we are hopeful. We are hopeful that uh, now that uh, the obstacles that created backlog, I mean, a bottleneck for us are uh, out of the way. We should be able to move uh, speedily in order to finalize the backlog. We are trying our level best. Uh, I believe uh, with the recruitment of the outstanding members, uh, we should be able to, to forge ahead. And uh, with regard to the stats, uh, a comment raised by uh, Honorable Pillay, on the slow progress. Yes, at the beginning, maybe it seemed like uh, the slow progress because of the challenges that I've outlined, but now uh, we are seeing progress. Now where I'm sitting, I've got 20 decisions that I've received uh, from yesterday that I need to review. So there's a process of review where we assist uh, uh, members to see if uh, uh, the decisions are that of quality, uh, because remember, these uh, members uh, were not afraid with the uh, refugees and migration regime. They are in the process of training. So up until a, a time comes whereby they can just independently fly on their own. So we, we've embarked on this process so that we don't make mistakes whereby we don't grant uh, asylum to deserving uh, refugees and whereby people who are not deserving are granted status. So that is a progress. So now uh, things are looking good. The systems are looking good. The department is assisting uh, with the systems. UNHCR as well, they are on board. We are offering trainings now and then. We identify 
uh, where uh, members uh, lack training because they are, they, 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 we, are also, we also brief them along the way. So it's a joint thing. So where we see lack, uh, we come and then uh, offer training. Where we see uh, a trend uh, going on and then we then come together with UNSCR and then we give training on that point and so forth. So I'm hopeful that uh, now uh, in, the, uh, in the future, we will be able to see a great improvement as most of the hurdles are out of the way. Thank you. Thank you, Advocate Rapeshu. Uh, Minister, uh, DG, start with the DG. DG, if there's any other matter. No, thanks, Chair, and uh, thanks. Uh, good morning, uh, Honorable Minister, uh, Deputy Minister, Honorable uh, Members. Just to emphasize a, a point that uh, the Chief Director, uh, Asalam Seeker Management, made. Uh, Honorable Ross, you, you will recall that with regards to the Cape Town Refugee Center, there's a very clear timetable that has been set by Judge Devet with regards to the reopening of the center. And uh, on the 20th of July, uh, 2022, she visited the center. Uh, we also visited the center with her. And then the DM uh, was there uh, a week ago to monitor again the uh, progress that uh, we are making as the Chief Director indicated the site is being handed over to us at the end of uh, September to make sure that we, we then finalize with uh, the uh, installations. I just thought I should uh, re-emphasize uh, that point. But overall, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. DM, is there another matter we may need to raise? No, thank you, Chair. Uh, just to confirm uh, the statement made by the DG in terms of the Cape Town Refugee Reception Center, It's actually a very good model, uh, Chair, that we need to look at in terms of our office footprint because it relies on the risk being placed with the owner to complete renovations and set up the offices so that they are in good shape. So it's quite a very good and interesting model that we really need to investigate a bit uh, more for our uh, civic offices as well. In terms of the question that was asked by Honorable Ross, in terms of what are we doing to ensure that we promote early birth registration, we have just recently came back uh, from three of Izimbizo to go around the country and promote early birth registration and to urge parents to make sure that they register their children within 30 days. This does not mean that after the 30 days, we no longer register the children. Yes, we do register them, even though it takes a bit longer. You will notice in terms of statistics that almost about 840,000 are now early birth registration out of a total of about a million births that we register almost every year, which shows that we are making progress in terms of diverting more children to be registered within the period of uh, 30 days, which is early birth registration. One of the projects uh, that we took up when we came into office in 2019 was the issue of making sure that we expand our footprint in terms of presence in hospitals. And that has helped us increase our early birth registration figures. Yes, we were interrupted with COVID. 
which limited our self-funding financing activities in order to roll it out to more hospitals. But as the situation is improving, we'll continue with that project to make sure that we increase the footprint. Now, one of the things that we have picked up, because when we go to those is and visas and interact with the communities, it gives us a picture of what is happening on the ground and what have becomes the root causes of uh, late birth registration. Is the issue of unpresent uh, parents and unpresent fathers that we need to deal with, where a child is just left alone at home with a granny and the mother then uh, disappears. That is the biggest challenge that we have with uh, birth registration, where you meet an 18-year-old person because the mother or the father was not there from the beginning to make sure that the birth of the child is registered. So it means we must then divert our campaigns to say, make sure that even if you are going to leave the child with a grandmother or a grandfather or an auntie uh, or or where you are living, make sure as a parent that that particular child has a birth certificate so that at least even in the future, it does not become uh, difficult to then convert them. On the issues of uh, refugees and asylum seekers, there is one point that I think we we need to emphasize also at a level of the portfolio committee and in terms of our language. The issue of sending countries dealing with adverse drivers of immigration. Countries of origin and countries that are sending countries in terms of asylum seekers. Because people become asylum seekers because there are either human rights issues, there are issues of abuse and so on and so on, subtracting the ones that will be uh, economic migrants. So if countries of origin can also bear the responsibility of making sure that they deal with these adverse drivers that are pushing people away out of their countries so that migration becomes voluntary but not forced on the basis of the economic as well as social conditions of that particular country. I think if we can start speaking more about that, we are also going to be contributing in dealing with the problem that we face. Those are the few comments I wanted to make, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Deputy Minister. Minister? Thank you very much, sir. I think most of the questions have been answered. I'll just touch up a few. Honorable Fander Merve, uh, I'm sure now you appreciate our program of digitization, how important it is, so that we have got digitized records and an organization like RASA doesn't have to go through what we are going through. Remember, it's not only RASA, it's even the civics where people have to amend their sayings, their date of birth, and their marriages is always a nightmare. The second question, which is very important, Honorable Van der Merve, the issue of unending appeals, you ask a question whether legislation will ever change it. Honorable Ruas asked it differently. He said, can we change the law to deal with the appeal process? Yes, indeed. That's what we are doing, Chairperson. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, the various statements we've made, and even the comments that were made by the committee led by Dr. Lubisi, which were reviewing permits and 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 and, uh, 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 and visas, they are actually emphasizing on this issue of changing the laws. That's why we are saying the whole immigration system needs to be overhauled. Uh, this statement, which honourable, uh, I mean, which. Uh, 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 advocate Drapesu made was made to her by a judge who said 
the government has created a bureaucratic ladder and let the people climb on it, meaning this bureaucratic ladder of appeals and appeals. This is why, Honorable Van der Merve, if you remember, the people who were holed up in the church, in the Methodist church uh, uh, in, 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 in central uh, uh, Cape Town, there were ringleaders in that. One of them was Alin Pakuru, the other was Papi Sakumi, and the other was Jean-Pierre Palouse, who is still in jail now, waiting trial. The first two were deported after 13 years, after appearing in front of a magistrate. For the whole 13 years, they were climbing this bureaucratic ladder. And you are aware that eventually it was proven that they, they, they don't need any international pro- pro- protection. Uh, they were just using the bureaucratic ladder because it's there. Papi Sakumi actually proved it immediately after the eventually the magistrate agreed that he be deported. When he arrived back in the DRC, he formed a political party and treated internationally for us to see that he was actually fooling us. He treated that is back home for me and he formed a political party. I'm sure all of you are aware that a human being who needed international protection cannot go back to the country where they ran away from and even form a political party. They'll be arrested immediately on arrival. So it just proves that our bureaucratic ladder doesn't help anybody. It just complicates our life. That's why we're going to change it. Honorable Van Breiver, I wish to thank you profusely for noting that I've been accused for something that is definitely unfounded. I'm not sure whether it's manifestly unfounded or just unfounded, but thank you for noticing that. Sometimes you just try to develop a thick skin because missiles are thrown against you for reasons that are unknown. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you realized, uh, uh, and, and I'm sure Honorable Peter also said it, that there is nothing wrong I'm doing. What I'm doing, Chairperson, and I won't apologize for that, I'm applying the laws of the country without fear, without favor, and without prejudice. Where I'm misapplying the law, there are remedies available within the South African legal system, which is one of the strongest around the world, as is known. So I will definitely follow those laws. Honorable Ruos, uh, uh, you mentioned the issue of whether I must confirm that there's no backlog on new applications. Yes, the present backlog I was dealing with is about appeals, climbing this bureaucratic ladder. That was mentioned by an honorable judge. Uh, that was it. The, the, if we develop uh, uh, any backlog on new applications, it will be after COVID, but it won't be something that we're unable to do. It won't be something that uh, 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 will be so difficult for us as to establish the type of process that we have established with United Nations. Uh, the issue of verification by uh, whether there is an e-system. Indeed, uh, Honorable Ruos, uh, Yusuf has actually answered it, that the police did not have to put somebody in jail for the whole weekend waiting for home affairs to verify. Uh, I'll remind you that we, we also have a similar problem uh, after the incidents at Deep Sluot, where there was a big uproar and some journalists called me whether they must be a... a, a a national dialogue about uh, 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 whether immigration officers or police can ask for anybody for documentation. And they actually ambushed the president who was asked 
that uh, we are using an old apartheid method because one police person asked uh, uh, somebody to nail uh, 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 an elbow in 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 Sitonga to see if they are South Africans. Now those are not our policies, chairperson. We actually do have a 2010 legacy project whereby pol- uh, police have got the right to stop anybody and ask them about documentation. It doesn't have to be production of physical documentation like during apartheid days. It means you are not forced to run with documents in your pockets, but you can be checked here and there if they found uh, that 24-hour system which you have. And we believe all our law enforcement officers must know that just so that we check you immediately on the National Population Register or on the NIIS. It's something that can be done on the spot. It's a pity if somebody had to be arrested for home affairs officials to come and verify documents manually. It should not happen that way. On the issue of whether the backlog, honorable rules, will be completed in four years, that is the plan, and we are monitoring it. No, no, no. Minister. Yes, Mr. Salmon. They're muted, Chair. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Apologies. Proceed. Yes, we are really trying our best to complete this backlog in four years. But because we are monitoring it very closely, if we realize that somehow we are going to fail in the four years, we will try to amend accordingly. But our plan is to to really complete it uh, uh, within four years. Now, the deputy minister has clearly outlined the problems we experience when we document people, even South Africans. And, and that we have opened uh, offices in hospitals to try and deal with that. And we are moving around with mobiles. But I want honorable members to appreciate some of the social problems. Uh, and I'm not giving an excuse. I'm just giving you what's happening socially. When we have to document people, as the deputy minister have said, I once went to Eldorado where we went with mobiles and lots and lots and lots of people came, large numbers showing that the service is needed. One of the boys who came there uh, was a 14-year-old boy who has won, I don't know whether it's a scholarship or a competition, to the U.S. uh, for soccer. He was a soccer star at 14, but he couldn't leave because he didn't have a passport, because the mother could not be found. The people who approached me felt so bad for his future that I instructed the police and social workers and immigration officers who were there to go and look for the mother who is on alcohol. They searched the whole of El Dorado Park. They found her. They brought her in to help the young man to get the passport. And while she was on the queue, just when we looked the other side, she disappeared completely. And she was nowhere to be found. And that kid was sitting there and crying. And in this case, we have got to call social workers again. So we do meet many of these instances where kids cannot be... Uh, 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 documented, cannot get their documents just because parents don't care or parents have got particular social problems like alcoholism, like being on drugs and they just disappear. It's a very big social problem, but we are trying our best to deal with it. The last one, Honorable PA. Uh, yes, thank you very much also for noting that I was accused for something that is unfounded, Honorable PA. 
The issue of ambassadors helping their nationals to get birth certificate is also one of the issues we raised with the in the high level meeting with the uh, deputy commissioner for protection. And one of the six, if not seven, agreements we made was that the United Nations will convene a meeting of all ambassadors who are in South Africa to discuss this matter with them and show that that, that at some stage or the other, they ought also to take responsibility for their nationals, not just to put the burden on the shoulders of South Africa only. They also have a a role to play, like somebody who comes with a record of birth and asking for a birth certificate of their country. Ambassador needs to help in that regard. I'm still waiting for the United Nations to convene such a meeting, uh, which we'll appreciate very much. Otherwise, thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, I will invite Mr. Jesus Perez if there are comments to round up. Mr. Any other matter you want to raise? Uh, Honourable Chairperson, uh, I'm not sure if uh, Jesus is connected, but uh, I, I think uh, with a question referred to us by um, Honourable Brandon Pillay and uh, also mentioned by uh, uh, Dr. Matsoledim, I, I want to say that uh, indeed uh, during high-level dialogue it was... Uh, uh, a discussion regarding involvement of ambassadors uh, and a view of documentation of newborn babies or their, uh, their citizens. I can say that uh, we remain committed and uh, UNITIA is discussing with Bureau because uh, uh, SAMCO, UNITIA, SAMCO is covering nine countries, Bureau it's, it's, uh, it's covering more, so we are in discussion with Regional Bureau to organize such a meeting and to discuss issues pertaining to documentation of uh, children and documentation of uh, person, especially uh, like it was mentioned during this uh, discussion, we, uh, we're dealing also with a number of person abusing the refugee system. And, uh, you know, like uh, last resort, they entering in uh, an asylum system to, to cover the uh, uh, legal stay in um, in South Africa. So um, from one side, uh, this is uh, one phenomenon which is happening. From other side, if uh, they are genuine person who are protected by South Africa, uh, this may uh, uh, put some difficulties in terms of approaching some of embassies or their embassies. Uh, to document because they are asking international protection. But in any case, a, a meeting will uh, take uh, place. I hope uh, we'll agree with Bureau when to do it, uh, maybe before the end of the year. And uh, uh, I think this is the main, uh, main question which we had uh, on uh, statelessness. But also just to mention uh, the same uh, view. Um, 
we we had a meeting with uh, with authorities with uh, director general uh, from home affairs who participated and it was a national plan uh, put in discussion so we'll uh, continue to have this dialogue and to uh, in terms of documentation i will uh, appreciate and i will thank uh, uh, home affairs uh, and uh, honorable minister and the colleagues from uh, uh, Department of Home Affairs for um, good interaction on documenting and uh, uh, those who want to return home for voluntary uh, repatriation. And I can uh, <coughs> report to you on this forum that uh, by now we uh, together uh, repatriated 168 uh, uh, persons to DRC, to Kinshasa and Lubumbashi. And uh, we have the plan and discussing now with uh, uh, Burundi office to repatriate. Uh, we, had, we have a list of uh, 200, 250 persons who wish to, to return back home. So for, for such type of person who are voluntarily uh, going back home and applying for voluntary repatriation, there are no any problems to document and, uh, and return them back. Thank you very much. Over to you, Chairperson. No, thank you very much for the uh, response. Um, I'm also struggling, will be struggling with the load shading. Um, if I cut off, uh, I will request Honorable Pillay to assist uh, the meeting. The was stepping off this item, and I want to appreciate all the good work, progress identified um on the presentation that we made and also collaborations with the uh, the stakeholders uh, in the home affairs um, and also thank minister for the, also the entire team uh, for having uh, gave progress in terms of the work that is being uh, put um and advocate for your new role uh, we must also take this time to congratulate you it's evident that at least there's a progress to that uh, extent. That also, some of the issues that may have came out that may not have been properly being uh, responded, I think you must take notes around those issues. Uh, we'll be monitoring uh, those, uh, following up on some of the uh, issues that are being raised and some of the issues that members continue to raise. We'll also do, Minister, a walk in in some of refugee centers uh, um, just to observe um, issues that were presented uh, for our attention um, um, so members will walk in 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 your uh, institution to make sure that in the next meeting when you come we also ascertain uh, the good work or the work or the weaknesses that we might have identified time turnaround time is critical uh, if we want to perfect our efficiency but I think we're confident in the manner that uh, the presentation has been uh, responded. I have noticed that there are some of the issues that were raised on the chat, and I think advocate and the minister will take them and uh, will uh, be responded to in our uh, engagement forward. The was stepping off this item, and thank you very much. Uh, we did step off the item, the first item, when we dealt with the Civil Society of Congolese, we noted the, the report, we referred it to the portfolio committee, no, sorry, to the Home Affairs. We're also noting the reports that have been presented by the minister and his, his team. We'll then establish 
uh, tracking uh, for update on some of the issues that the committee is interested in society and all who are um, uh, interested on the on, on on the matter but also to make sure that uh, we assist our people in our service uh, uh, delivery work we'll then step off this item invite the uh, Mr. Salmon to give brief on the uh, uh, report, electoral uh, uh, amendment, and then uh, um, I'm sure that uh, in attendance here is the state law advisor, if they're here, and parliamentary legal service, and the council uh, uh, advocate, BA, and your team. Um, I'm sure the, the IEC, uh, they're in attendance, but that is the brief of what came out of the uh, submissions and uh, Mr. Salomon will give us a brief and outline on how we'll deal with the with the matter and we have to conclude this matter then we'll then uh, formulate the process forward. Mr. Salomon? Uh, thank you Chairperson. Um, yes, uh, presented here is the a summary of the submissions that we received up until Friday afternoon. Um, there, in total, there were a total of 256 submissions, uh, of which uh, 254 were email submissions and three were hand-delivered submissions. Um, of the emails, there were 231 short emails via the advocacy group BASA, um, ex- excluding tw- 23 duplicates. Uh, the 11 substantive emails comprised uh, 68 pages of inputs, uh, um, and they were physically delivered submissions from uh, from civil society, uh, as, which had uh, 1,218 signatures, and Defend Our Democracy, which was supported by 56 organizations. This was also submitted by email. Uh, in addition, Dear South Africa resubmitted its 5,500 submission uh, supporters uh, in a large bound document uh, on their initial uh, on their initial bill. Um, there were also three emails and one substantive submission from from Kasatu that uh, we received after the closing date, which I haven't had time to consider, and which the the committee can indicate whether whether we should consider or not because. Uh, yeah, everybody else met the deadline, but these uh, organizations, this organization and three short submissions were admitted late. Uh, in alph- alphabetical order, Chairperson, I'll, I'll briefly go through the 10 uh, substantive submissions, um, uh, which I've tried to um, make as short as possible, given the short amount of time I've had to uh, process them. Uh, the first of which is the 70s group. Which made us, which which did um, give us uh, oral presentations in the first round of uh, submissions. Uh, they indicated that uh, the proposed amendments um, could be open to litigation challenges. Uh, in that the initial submissions were by them were ignored, and that the the drafters of the current bill. Uh, were leading us to an uh, leading us to an constitutional impasse because the research that they did were was ignored and um, particularly their support for the majority view in the ministerial uh, um, review panel on on, on elections. Uh, the Center for Societal Advancement. 
are um, particularly in, uh, in favor of the word using of the words partisan versus non-partisan candidates rather than political versus non, non-political candidates or independent candidates. Uh, uh, they say this because partisan or political party candidates are supported by the political parties, whereas non-partisan candidates are not supported in the same way. And so the terminology independent candidates in the A-list of the bill uh, suggests that these candidates on their own and do not need support. Uh, it further names them in relation to being independent political parties to being independent of political parties, as if the political rights accruing to all citizens can only be enjoyed in exercise when one is associated with the political party. The vocabulary must change to refer to non-partisan and partisan candidates at the provincial and national levels and can only should only refer to independent candidates when uh, dealing with local municipalities. Otherwise, no ordinary citizen can become a seriously contending candidate at provincial and national levels without at least two things. The first of which is administrative support by their partisan associations uh, or non-partisan associations, uh, called by whichever name. And the political parties in this regard should play on even playing fields because they are the products of the provisions of Section 18 of the Constitution, of the, uh, applying to all, all citizens equally. And the candidates also need manageable constituencies within which the candidates are known to citizens who, must vote, who will vote for them, thereby enhancing accountability once elected, and that district municipality levels are more sensible constituencies to be adopted for this purpose rather than the... Uh, Provincial level proposed in the current in the current revised bill, and then they also object to the insertion of the word person to mean natural person, but instead propose that the word uh, citizen should be used. This is echoed by a number, a number of other submissions. Secondly, that uh, the person that contests those elections is the candidate. The, the current legislation refers to citizens and candidates only when they are identified by political, by political party and indep- independent candidates when they are not from political parties. This could arise in potential, potential discrimination, they say, um, where nonpartisan candidates are in some way lesser entitled than part- partisan candidates or political parties. They reject to the insertion of political liaison committee on the basis of the constitutional court judgment which gave rise to the judgment uh, and that it doesn't do away with political parties because they are a product of the enjoyment of section 18 of the constitution that and that the insertion should rather reach party liaison committee and or non-partisan liaison committee. The effect of this should be that the electorate is now introduced to two types of candidates to be voted for and uh, as, as indicated. Um, next, they indicate that Amendment to 31A of the bill should allow independent candidates to contest more than one region for a seat in the NA. Uh, and that this should be facilitated by improving administrative support. Uh, which is currently only provided to political parties. And so the question is, how can this administrative support be extended to nonpartisan candidates? Uh, and so that a new, a new clause and definition should 
create recognition, provision, and promotion of administrative backup to nonpartisan candidates as well as uh, being inserted into the bill. So this this organization is pretty much in favor of uh, providing formal provisions for the administrative support uh, of uh, nonpartisan or as the, uh, otherwise known as independent candidates. The objection to regions, which we submit is formed by the fact that all recognized provinces as regions, this arrangement disadvantages nonpartisan candidates because without their association being recognized, they, they, they're best known in around their wards, local municipalities or district municipalities and not at provincial level. Uh, multi-party democracy also means uh, rejecting the substitution of political of party for political, because this is confusing because the, the, the concept of political parties uh, should also rec- should also come with the recognition of the nonpartisan associations uh, in the same way that political party support is recognized. There's a need for separate requirements or qualification for nonpartisan. There's no need for separate requirements for qualifications for nonpartisan candidates, as this could be perceived as unfair discrimination, um, and which would also be solved if the nonpartisan candidate support systems were recognized. The unfair discrimination referred to in A, C, D, and F of the advert calling for submissions. It has is reached has reached its zenith in asking political candidates uh, with no associative backing to now go to the voters twice. First to secure signatures, and secondly to ask them for to vote for them. And this is uh, similar in um, instances of I, J, K, and L in the advert calling for submissions uh, is a further further form of discrimination. And so in order for them to, for nonpartisan candidates or independent candidates to fully exercise their, their uh, rights, they should have their supporting organizations recognized. Um, and this should include compensatory seats and all proportional representation allocations where votes for nonpartisan candidates will compensate for nonpartisan associations. Um, particularly when it's known that Political parties represent only 1% of the population uh, in terms of actual support numbers, uh, uh, membership numbers, um, and that by allowing 50% of, of the seats as suggested in the bill, this could arise in exclusivity rather than representativity. And B, the counting of votes and the compensatory votes applicable to political parties must be exactly the same um, for for nonpartisan associations. Uh, Citizens Parliament, um, they indicate that 31A of the bill allowing independent candidates to contest more than one constituency seat uh, strongly recommend that that the district... Sorry, is there somebody interpreting? No, okay. It's strongly recommended the current district municipalities and metros be recognized as constitutional constituency districts for, for provincial legislatures and the NA. Uh, the, the indicated deletion of references to political parties is unconstitutional in terms of section 19 
and 18 of the Constitution, um, and that the removal of con con qualifications from 31b is inconsistent uh, with Section 32a and Section 9 of the Equality Clause of the Constitution. This means that political parties must meet the same qualifications of 30% for a seat for registration to contest elections. And if political parties only need 1,000 signatures, uh, then this should also apply to independent candidates. Uh, 31.3b and 6, um, they indicate that no monetary requirements should be required for qualification and or contesting elections uh, because this would allow for interference and fraud by, uh, by private, private sector and private interests. Uh, the bill also retains the existing voting allocation system in Caden Access Contained the Electoral Act using the highest remainder system. Um, and they, but they indicate that, that political and non-partisan associations should be treated equally in the remainder of votes and independent candidates be counted in favor of the non-partisan associations. There should be an official arrangement before elections on how non-partisan candidates share their remainder votes. Uh, and their right to collaborate in advance with their respective constituencies. And the bill also provides that independent candidates contesting in one more region cannot aggravate their, go their, aggravate their votes. The, 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 the proposed recognition of the current municipality districts and metros as constituency districts would solve this problem if properly administrated, they indicate. Um, civil society. Um, so this this was an organization uh, which got 1,218 uh, signatures, which were physically delivered to Parliament. And it comprises the following. Uh, they indicate that we the people call to consider amending the bill to be fully representative and take us to an electoral system where our representatives act in the best interest of all the decisions that they make. Um, they call upon Parliament to ensure that we're able to vote for independent candidates in the national elections in 2024 to move quickly, to be, allow candidates to be able to contest for all 400 seats and for the votes of independent candidates not to be given to political parties, but rather distributed among, amongst independents. And that any bill that fails to do so uh, is a violation of the Constitution and true democracy. And that independent candidates should be defined as a natural person or community-based association and movements. They reject that candidates must be required to have 30% of the seat quota in signatures in order to be eligible to contest. And this is an onerous burden placed on candid candidates and an, inf and an inf unfair environment. Uh, they call upon a clear and fair deposit amount to be described in the act so that to prevent independents from being denied their electoral rights. And that hundreds of thousands of rands or ten, even ten thousands of rand is unfair. Uh, they reject as undemocratic that vacancies are filled by recal recalculation. And that in the event of death or sickness, a member of parliament must be elected via by-election. And they reject the limitation of votes to one region. If a candidate has 100,000 votes nationally, they should deserve a seat in parliament more than a political party with only 75,000 votes. Uh, defend our democracy. 
this was uh, supported by 56 organizations, uh, which are listed below. Um, on 2 September 2022, they held an Indaba um, with uh, my vote counts, Ravonia Circle, Ahma Kadri Foundation, and Defend Our Democracy in, uh, in Johannesburg. And they indicated the bill is flawed. Uh, the fundamental problem with the current electoral system is that members of parliament are not chosen directly the, the people. We want a system which allows the electorate to directly elect representatives to be able to directly hold them accountable. Moreover, the bill ignores the findings of the, the various reports, the Franslea's Stubbard report, the 2006 Parliament uh, Briggs-Govenda report, uh, the Kalema McClanta Higher Level uh, Commission, and, and this year's Zander Commission report. Um, with that in mind, the civil societies uh, represented at the Indaba support for Parliament to reshape the electoral system in the interest of the public. Uh, in a way that is f- credible, fair, and inclusive, and that promotes greater public accountability. Uh, they outlined why the majority view of the Ministerial I- uh, Advisory Committee should be considered as the minimum basis for changing the le- electoral system and should not be ignored. Otherwise, it will be subject to legal, legal challenge. Uh, as the bill stands, the system that it proposes has not been tested anywhere else in the world, and it's complex and will not result in proportional representation. It goes against the underpinning of the democratic and constitutionally prescribed principle of equality where every person's vote is of equal value. By privileging political parties and further disadvantaging independent candidates by making them compete on unequal footing. They urge the committee to consider a mixed constituency and proportional representation list system at the national and provincial level that includes the right of independent candidates to contest elections on equal footing. Uh, given the short time frames, there's an urgent need to find a consensus going forward. Uh, they then quote Nelson Mandela, who indicated that we need to ask whether we must re-examine our electoral system so as to improve the nature of our relationship as public representatives with voters. Uh, the opportunity for meaningful electoral change should now not be missed by society at large, nor dismissed by political role players. Uh, the 56 organizations supporting this, including some of the others mentioned uh, in this submission, uh, are listed here. The Independent Candidates Association, um, ICA, uh, that indicate that by, by them commenting on the bill, they in no way endorse the bill in its current form and that it's fundamentally flawed. Uh, and they also support the majority view in the Ministerial Advisory Committee. Uh, and they support the private members' bill of Honorable Quarter, as well as the electoral report submitted by Inclusive Society. Uh, the Inclusive Society report advocated the interim measure of a district model of 66 constituencies, which do not need demarcation board intervention. And they also support a four-ballot system to make the bill constitutionally compliant. Uh, clause 31B38 dealing with signatures um, ensures that vacancies that have been created by independence are filled by recalculation. And the current administration amendment, sorry, the current administ- amendment bill fails to pass the constitutional test uh, in that clauses as stated fulfill the sentiment of the vote of each and every citizen is a badge of dignity and personhood. 
quite literally that every vote counts. Uh, rela relating to aggregated votes, 31A of the bill states that a person must be nominated to contest an election as an independent candidate in one or more regions of the National Assembly, but may be elected to only one seat in the National Assembly. The result is that this amendment is that an independent candidate can contest in more than one region. The above portion must be read together with 57A of the, the Schedule 1A, which indicates that a candidate must may be nominated as an independent candidate in more than one region. Uh, and that where an independent candidate is contesting in more than one region, the votes received across the region may not be aggregated. The result of this is an amendment that independent candidates contesting in more than one region cannot aggregate their votes. We believe this is unconstitutional because, firstly, it prevents independent candidates from meeting the requisite vote threshold or quota in order to be allocated a seat by limiting the votes considered to one region. Despite the fact that if the total votes across the regions were aggregated, independent candidate may meet the quota. This violates the proportionality requirement. And secondly, it is arbitrarily discriminating against independent candidates compared to political parties, both who may compete both for regional and compensatory seats. Um, stated specifically in 57A, uh, the number of seats to be awarded to party for the purpose of the paragraph D must subject B to C B determined by dividing the total number of votes cast in both regional and compensatory ballots in favor of such a party. Therefore, political parties may be awarded seats based on all votes received, but not independent candidates, violating the proportionality requirement. In terms of compensatory seats, the, the seats in the National Assembly are determined in terms of Section 46 of the Constitution and Schedule 3. Uh, Half the seats are filled by independent candidates. Half the seats are filled by candidates of, from lists of on, on by parties. The result of this clause is that independent candidates are only allowed to compete for half of the seats in the NA. Independent candidates cannot compete for compensatory seats. The result of this is twofold. Firstly, the votes cast for independent candidates are outright precluded from being proportionally translated into seats. Um, as independent candidates may only stand for half the seats, and therefore the total 400 uh, seats in the NAA will never reflect the total go votes cast, whether for independents or parties. Or parties. Secondly, this has an effect on the quota for the independent candidates to be allocated a seat, which equals the votes cast divided by 200 plus 1, versus the quotas for party, which, which equal, equals 400 minus 1. This calculation is apparent uh, in clauses 57A, um, which sets out the, the allocation for regional seats. Um, and then this goes into more detail around that. Um, accordingly, the quota for an independent candidate can be awarded to uh, a seat is higher than for a political party. This violates the right to equality. The effect of this can be demonstrated in the following. The effect may seen in the table below, uh, which indicates that independent candidates can only stand for half the seats, combined with the fact that independent candidates' quota to allocate the seat is higher than that for political parties. Uh, the example shows that only 
that party A received only 54% of the votes, but 59% of the seats. Therefore, it received more seats than votes. Comparatively, independent one received 5% of the votes. They received only one seat, while party C received less than four, uh, less than independent four, at 3.3, it was allocated two seats. This not only validates proportionality, but also the calculation of seats in the NA. In terms of surplus seats, uh, 57A uh, of Schedule 7A of the bill provides that the NA independent candidates may be allocated regional uh, surplus seats. Therefore, they may be allocated a surplus seat despite not originally meeting the seat quota. This allocation will take place by allocating a surplus seat in the sequence of the highest surplus. However, allocating compensatory seats for which only political parties may compete uh, in terms of 57A provides that all votes received by political parties will be totaled and all votes by independent candidates will be deducted. Therefore, the quota for seat allocation and surplus seat allocation will be less than for regional seats. And that violates by a proportionality by not translating votes into seats. In terms of provincial legislature, uh, 57A12 uh, deals with the allocation of surplus seats. Uh, if an independent candidate has been allocated more than one seat in the province, he or she will be allocated one seat and forfeit any additional seats. This item proceeds to calculate whether the, where the additional seats go. The effects of this calculation is that ultimately they go to political parties. This may be demonstrated by utilizing the, the 2019 provincial Gauteng uh, legislature votes. In um, the scenario, eight independent candidates stand and they receive 10% of the votes. The table show demonstrates that while, for instance, the Freedom Front received less votes than the independent candidate won, it was allocated three seats, while the independent candidate only was allocated, uh, uh, sorry, whilst independent candidate was only allocated seven seats. Therefore, the votes received do not translate into seats. Um, and the combined ballot uh, in 57A, Six uh, states that a quota of votes per seat must be determined by totaling by dividing the total number of valid votes for parties in both regional and compensatory by the total number of seats in the National Assembly plus one minus seats won by independent candidates. The result plus one disregarding fractions is the quota for the seats. And the bill also provides for three ballot papers, two for the NA and one for the provincial legislature. The above clause provides that votes cast in the regional and compensatory ballots are counted together in order to determine the quota to allocate seats. The result of this is that the NA parties will be allocated more seats than they would if they had two ballots counted separately. If the votes uh, cast in the two ballots were counted separately, the, the votes would be allocated more proportionally. And this may be demonstrated in the, this is demonstrated in the following table where independent candidates received 10% of the regional votes and were allocated 14 seats, while political parties received 50% of the regional votes and 51% and of the compensatory seats, and ultimately were allocated 386 seats. Therefore, an example, ANC uh, would have been allocated 195 seats if the two ballots were counted separately, but they were counted 203 seats by combining the ballots. And the combination of the two ballots does not affect the seats allocated to independent candidates. This, can, this therefore, is uh, disproportionate in favor of uh, political parties. 
The submission from the Institute for Race Relations um, basically indicates that the, there are significant uh, changes in the bill and that uh, this requires an additional public participation. And they, uh, through their lawyers, uh, indicate that the time allocated was not sufficient and they request an additional three weeks um, and that uh, further communication on the call for submissions be submitted um, Bearing this in mind, there were nonetheless uh, significant amounts of submissions and signatures received from various parties. Um, Michael Atkins uh, is an independent uh, expert on elections, and he gives a, a number of technical uh, submissions on the bill. The first of which is that uh, the recalculation of seats calculates set out by item 7 and 12 is defective in that it is biased in favor of larger political parties, as mentioned in the previous submission, and has an intended consequence of transferring a seat from a smaller party to a larger party. This is because the recalculation always follows a standard allocation of quota and remainder seats, uh, and then the removal of one or more seats. If the seats are removed and the quota recalculated, then the quota will always be lower than it was previously. Reducing the quota means that the number of votes required per seat is reduced, which provides a benefit to parties with quota seats. Crucially, this benefit is also multiplied by the number of quota seats held, obviously then benefiting the larger parties the most. Um, they indicate that the IC incorrectly advised the committee at the time that the error would not apply to existing item 7 recalculations, but the IC disregarded the input given by th that the recalculations inherently benefit political pa uh, larger parties. Secondly, a second ballot for provincial legislators causes the results to be disproportional, violating Section 105 of the Constitution. The altered seat allocation calculation, calculation maintains the, the disproportionality. The underlying logical problem of individuals being listed on the same ballot as parties in a proportional representation election cannot be cured. Minor changes can be made to the seat allocation mechanism, which would, uh, which can partly mitigate the numerical effects. But this does not remove the principle of disproportionality or the effect of votes cast in favor of independent candidates. Uh, the inclusion, thirdly, of uh, regional ballots in the, in the PR cal calculations for the National Assembly violates Section 46 of the Constitution in general proportional representation and Section 19 on the right to fair elections. Um, the remedy is straightforward. After calculating the seat allocations for elections in regions and after any of the 400 seats in the National Assembly are allocated to independent candidates, the PR calculations for the rest of the 400 seats should be carried out entirely on the basis of the separate PR vote, a PR ballot. And D, the excessively high signature requirement for independent candidates uh, is unreasonable, unfair, and entirely out of proportion with the requirements for political parties. For example, the National Assembly, uh, the 4,400 wards compared to 400 seats, uh, the signature requirement would only be 600. Even a signature requirement of 1,000 would be uh, reasonable. Anything more would be uh, repugnant. Allowing independent candidates to contest multiple elections disenfranchises voters uh, and creates this proportionality um, in terms of the constitution with a bias towards larger political parties and also section section 19 of uh, right to fair elections um, 
since the voter may not be aware that political party that a particular candidate is standing or has a reasonable prospect of success in another election, or they might prefer that candidate if they knew the prospect of the candidate being elected elsewhere, then it is reasonable to assume that they might vote for somebody else. The second major problem is that the removal of uh, votes and the calculation carried out in terms of section uh, or item 7 and 12 of Schedule 1A will inevitably create numerical distortions of proportionality. And it's logically possible that the calculation executed in terms of the successful independent candidate for fitting a seat will have the effect of transferring a seat from a smaller party to a larger party. Um, And then there's another technical challenge which they indicate uh, in relation to this. Um, And then, yeah, so these are more technical related to the same matter. And then F, the method for filling vacancies relies on defective recalculation methods that is unnecessarily complicated and that has a built-in bias in favor of large parties, violating Section 19 of the Constitution on fair elections. Um, and there that there are several logic and drafting errors, primarily on Schedule 1A, and the quota in the signature requirement refers to a figure that is substantially higher than this, that assumed to apply, being the quota for National Assembly. Um, the, rem- the remedy is simple, that vacancies can be filled by using the original seat allocation calculations and allocating the seats to the party or candidate with the highest remainder out of the parties and candidates that have not yet secured a remainder seat. This is awarding the seat to the next on the list of remainders. Uh, next, um, and we're almost done, is the New Nation Movement. Looking at the, ben- the amendment and the bills that stand, it's clear that the bill is focusing on the inclusion of independent candidates, but very little on the right of the citizen to associate without being in uh, or f- joining or forming a political party. Their initial submission was that the spirit of the judgment uh, of the constitutional, constitutional court was the inclusion of citizens' assemblies, associations. Uh, and as the initial litigants in the Constitutional Court, they respect the, the committee's decision to ignore this, but uh, not without protest. There are the following areas that they offer suggestions in. The insertion of the definition of person to meet natural, to mean natural person, um, whereas the Concord refers to citizens, and they sh- indicate they support this, this inclusion, rather. Um, uh, on the point C of the advert, they propose that the declaration must be signed by the duly authorized representative of the party or citizen assembly or association, confirming that each candidate appearing on the citizen on the party or citizen assembly's provincial list of candidates is registered to vote within the province in which their election will take place. And point D, the amendment to 31A of the bill to allow independent candidates or to, uh, or uh, associations to contest in more than one region in the NA. They recommend that, like other submissions, the existing 52 district municipalities uh, be used as uh, constituencies rather than provincial. This will save tax time and taxpayers' money. They were also already used for the determination of the seats in the NA and provincial legislatures. Uh, 
on point P1, the, the bill now retains the existing voting system as contained in the Electoral Act and extends it to independent candidates. Uh, it is correct that the electoral reform as is restricted by the Concord should include independent candidates, but it's not limited to the inclusion of independent candidates. Uh, provisions should be made for citizens' assemblies or associations to exercise their positive right to freedom of association. And if this process fails to deal with this critical matter, it will open itself to unnecessary litigation. Needs be citizens will have to be given a right to say on this matter via referendum. And we propose that the seat must, must belong to a constituency district to deepen the accountability structures and avoid having to have by-elections when something happens to a citizen assembly representatives. So again, this is the third submission indicating uh, um, needing specific support for um, the associations or assemblies that support independent uh, candidates or non-partisan candidates. Uh, one South Africa. Um, they indicate that they do not support the amendment bill. And based on the fact that it's also the minority uh, report of the Minister of Advisory Committee. And it is important to incorporate independent candidates more meaningfully without introducing... Uh, you can't incorporate independent candidates meaningfully without introducing a, con a constituency-based system. Um, they also indicate that the sig signature requirement is too high um, and currently as stands would require 12,900 signatures for independent candidates. And the constitutional issue is that political parties need only 1,000 signatures and compared to 12,000 signatures for independent candidates. And this is unfair discrimination. If the, if the intention for the signature threshold that the ballot should, is not convoluted with candidates, they, they should apply across the board. Um, and yeah, so basically the requirement for political parties is uh, a ratio of one to 43, whereas the ratio for uh, independent candidates is only one to three, so significantly higher. Uh, on the issue of vacancies, the, that, that should be uh, filled by recalculation in terms of the bill. Um, the Kate, the case in the, the, the law versus the Speaker of the National Assembly indicated that suspension of a member of the National Assembly from Parliament for contempt is not consistent with the requirements of the representative democracy. It would be a punishment which is calculated to penalize not only the member in contempt, but also the party and those who in the electorate who voted for their party. The principle is to be derived from this is that the electorate are entitled to be represented in the National Assembly by their proportionate number of votes and, and the bill proposes a re recalculation that violates this principle. This is for this reason that we do not replace one political party with a different political party if the political party loses a seat and for the same reason uh, that we have by-elections. Uh, a vote is not numeric exercise that can merely be re recalculated. Uh, for instance, the the vote for the ANC is a vote against the DSA and, DAA and its policies. Therefore, it's unconscionable that a bill would propose a recalculation measure that could potentially result in an independent candidate being replaced by a political party. 
And we find ourselves in this situation because the, we did not follow a constituency based system and therefore regions that are too big to hold by-elections and find ourselves doing mental gymnastics uh, and pitching unprecedented and constitutionally unsound solutions. And their recommendation is that there should be a running mate system where independent candidates can nominate a potential replacement before an election and that the system enhances the values of openness and transparency. Um, ALTA, uh, Organization Undoing Tax, Tax Abuse, um, they indicated that uh, there were several submissions um, from April until August for additional um, public um, calling for additional public consultation, um, but that they specifically have issue with the following um, issues in the bill. Um, um, D relating to the point D in the advert calling for submissions that uh, candidates contesting more than one region in in A uh, and that votes cast in region not reaching the highest figure will be discarded. Such an approach limits the proportion representation by disregarding votes or discarding votes of um, in favor of independent candidates, which is in contrast to the wish of the electorate when they cast their votes for regions. The concern here is that the signatures of voters who support the candidate containing 30% is a barrier to entry, uh, as mentioned above. Uh, the votes and seats allocated to independent candidates who have vacated the seats will be discarded. Based on this calculation, the vacant seat is awarded to an eligible candidate or party. This means that the seat may go to political party. Uh, not with, not with certainty to another independent candidate, as mentioned above again. Um, Vusimuzi Gunkema is a, is a independent, uh, submission. Um, he asked various questions rather than particular statements. Um, and he asked in terms of section, schedule 1A, section 57A, uh, are these constituencies that the legislation will create. How many are there in what district and, and within which district municipality? And why are the NCP seats not available to independent candidates? Uh, is the Democrat, is it democratic that political parties can contest all the available seats, but independent candidates only half the seats? Um, and the vacancy for independent candidates will be refilled by recalculation. Why not by by-election? Um, and the forfeiture of seats, if registered parties have less than the required number of uh, candidates listed. Um, this is not democratic. Uh, Section 461D of the Constitution states that our electoral system must result in proportionality. Does half the seat satisfy this in general proportionality? And does proportionality mean proportional to the votes received by the political parties only, not independent candidates as well? And lastly, uh, the court made this minimum order but with a broader view, and the Parliament chose to only attend to the minimum order. Among the electric, the Act is to be in line with the current constitution as it is, and is not enough. Um, then, dear South Africa, um, just to indicate that uh, I, I was only able to uh, provide an overview of all the submissions, because there are 244 of them. I've asked dear South Africa to submit me their um, Excel spreadsheet, which analyzes in more detail the contents. Um, 
that I've done an over, overview, um, I can provide more detail to members uh, with a day or two more to uh, analyze these results. But in general, of the 231 short emails, um, 221 or 95% were against the bill. And the main reason um, by 70% of those 221 submissions was uh, against the bill in, in, in its entirety. 11% indicated they were against the bill because of the constitutionality issues. Um, 6% indicated they had concerns around independent candidates. And 4% indicated they, uh, the objections to the fact that there, were, there weren't broader electoral reforms. Um, six were in favor of the bill. Um, four due to independent candidates and two due to other reasons. Um, and four were not fully in favor and two in, de, uh, in terms of constitutionality and, and two in term, terms of independent candidates' uh, rights. So that's just an overview of the results. Um, and as, as indicated, I haven't um, analyzed the Kusaitu, uh submission because it was handed in late and I hadn't had time. And I will need more time to provide more detail on the Dear South Africa submission. Um, for now, that is my submission chairperson. Thank you. Sorry if I went over time. No, thanks, thanks, uh, Adams, for uh, uh, your work uh, to collate information uh, or submissions, not say information, submissions. Uh, and I think we must appreciate all those participated in the submissions. We must deal with a few issues for processing so that uh, we're not... Uh, outside uh, the focus. One is that the closing date was on the 16th, if I recollect well, uh, Mr. Salmon. Yes, Chair. Yes, Chair. Um, and your reporting should talk to that. And uh, um, assist us to be firm on our process. That's the first point I think you need to deal with. Uh, secondly, we're not starting public hearings. There are some of the issues as outlined on the advert that have been deliberated by the committee informed by the submissions, oral public engagement, and the process which went into by the stakeholders we've been engaging with, with the parliamentary legal service, state law advisor, the council, which advise the, the minister. And thirdly is that I fully agree that you all, you just draw on the, all submissions and put into one space. What we need to do is to align those with what the committee has resolved to be a process to sort a, a public submissions, which closed on the 16th of September. And I'm, I'm raising emphatic on this area so that we're able to be focused on the point which the committee has directed us to do for this extension of submissions. And I'm not 
suggesting to close any other view that is now being expressed in the in the meeting. At the time the committee had to deliberate, we must have those standard areas which the committee has dealt with and agreed to. It is clear that we may not deliberate on the issues and also noting that other members have already knocked locked out due to network or traveling to the parliament that is sitting is starting now at six no sorry at uh, two o'clock um the other point is that we are pressed for time mr salmon and i think members also agrees that we are pressed for time so that we deal with this bill presented to parliament and the NSOP must able also to have an opportunity to interface with the issues that may arise from stakeholders, political parties, or the community. I will suggest so that we may not, because it's clear that we may not take deliberations because of the, uh, 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 the issues I've highlighted. We may need to ask you, Mr. Salmon, Mr. Matonzi is also not on the on the platform, I'm not sure that it's back of the low shading, to also consider if we can request an extra day to deal with this matter um, on deliberation and get another day to work on the um, adoption for a purpose of the National Assembly. So I'm outlining this process to sort proper guidance and summary on how we're going to, to deal with, because we ought also to uh, interact with the stakeholders I've mentioned, the IEC, Parliamentary Legal Service, State Law Advisor, and the team that had advised the minister, so that we fairly uh, uh, look on the issues that are being raised. I'm not sure whether you want to come in before members, uh, Mr. Salmon. Um, Yes, please, Chair. Okay, you can proceed. Um, just to indicate, Chairperson, that uh, I have received an additional summary from um, DS South Africa now. Um, and so I'll include that as part of my summary before I send it to members. And also to indicate that we have a provisional uh, um, legislative program to deal with these submissions whereby we meet with the, uh, the stakeholders, the IC, DHA, and Parliament Legal Services on Friday to respond to the submissions. So I'll, I'll provide a full summary of the, the I'll provide the, the summary I provided today to members with an additional summary of the DS South Africa submissions tomorrow and that the DHA will respond on, on Friday. Thank you, Jane. Okay. I think let's assist the process, Mr. Salmon. And I want to be emphatic on it. Who have opened and requested submissions on the 16th of September. And you are, in your report, I indicated that if you come to the committee and say, Pile Foundation or Ross Institute has submitted has given us the submission on the 18th. And whether you know that we have requested submission to be on the 16th of September. 
you only account to the issues that has to do with the committee decision. So I wanted us to, to move from that premise so that we don't get many other issues that are coming outside the, the, the committee uh, and get basic issues that we can manage. I think we must work on that on, on, on that one. We'll, we'll deal with this matter at the, at, the main core, at the main core level so that we don't deal with other issues which are outside what we've established as a principal process to engage on. Can I invite members to guide further comment and then we, we step off uh, this item? I'll start with the Honorable uh, Lizelle, if you are in, Honorable uh, Mohale, Honorable uh, Ruos, Honorable uh, Ramulobeng, Honorable Pilei, Honorable uh, Mudisimza. In that order, if members are still on, online, Honorable Lizelle? Okay, Honorable Lukwase? Honorable Morale? Okay, Honorable Ruas? Uh, thank you, Chair. <clears throat> Chair, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, it, it would be helpful for the summary to be um, aligned to the, the different areas of the changes. Um, I know it's being presented as from from Pile, from Ruas, etc. But uh, I think it'll be very helpful if we say that these were the areas that changed and these are the different uh, comments on each one. I think it will, it will definitely help us. Um, but Chairperson, I, I agree with your proposed way forward. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Honorable Ruas. Honorable Ramulo Honorable Tito, if you have joined. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Chair, I think first I must uh, concur and applaud you for the direction that you've been taken and, and you are clearly showing leadership. Uh, I want to support your proposal, Chair, um, in light of many things. One is time, two is that it's quite a lengthy uh, presentation as well as many submissions and it must allow for members to uh, to be able to go through it, uh, understand it, and then be able to deliberate. But more so, Chair, I think in light of having to um, get this process to finality, uh, we have to make sure that we stick to the clauses that uh, we spoke about in this uh, Electoral Amendment Bill. And that's in particular the process, Chair, just to clarify, was one that we were making substantive changes to the bill. And hence, we called for uh, written submissions. So we can't go back to the entire bill. We can only, you know, zoom in and be specific around those specific amendments and clauses. And I think that's how it should be aligned. And that's how we should then be able uh, to deliberate on that discussions. Thank you. Okay. I think that is the approach we're going to take. Uh, can I check if uh, Mr. Njikela, you want to bite? And uh, Ms. Governor? Parliamentary Legal Service? Okay. No, I think let's work on that one. Uh, uh, Mr. Adams, Salmon, 
let's uh, uh, work on the dates that be scheduled to interact with this uh, um, a, a report you have presented, and then let's uh, make sure that uh, members will inform them that they are not in the meeting. And I think we've indicated that they are moving to uh, to the house, which is sitting at two, traveling, and so forth and so on. And we'll then immediately um, convene uh, Menko, uh, assist us to get Menko in uh, immediately tomorrow morning um, so that we, we, we work on the scheduling and inform members in time. Um, is that be sufficient, Mr. Salma? Uh, no, the chair, yes, we'll do as, as advised. Yes, let's get the Menko tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock so that we work on how we're going to facilitate scheduling of meetings on this item so that we're not going to confuse it with any other matter. I think we're done with this matter. We'll inform members. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, ministers, thanks very much. The, all the team that we presented uh, invited to this uh, portfolio committee. Um, is there any other matter that you want to announce or you can carry announcement, uh, Mr. Salmon from Mr. Matunzi? Uh, no, Chair. Okay. Members, honorable members, thanks very much for this uh, meeting and uh, the team invited stakeholders. Uh, we really appreciate and must appreciate those all who have made responses, submissions to this electoral amendment bill. It's encouraging that uh, our people are paying attention to the current discourse. Um, and I think we must appreciate uh, that uh, they're able to contribute to these issues that they're raising. And I think we're working on that clarity uh, 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 of that we're dealing with the issues that have been identified on the amendment, the uh, electoral amendment bill. Thanks very much, members. Uh, the meeting stand agent. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chairperson.